Welcome to Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast coming to you live from Paul's living room in Montana. I'm Mario Lanza. Uh, I'm Paul, and it's all about revenge, baby. I'm Jay Fisher, and I won't be giving you two anything anymore, except to vote. <laughs> and welcome back. This is uh, part two of our Pearl Islands Historians podcast. As always, um, one of the seasons we were most looking forward to. We're having a ball talking about it. And before we jump in, I think we left off with episode four. So we're going to start with episode five, the Michelle episode. Anything you guys want to mention before we kind of get into it here? Um, the only thing I really have to say going into this is, is um, you know, listening to the last podcast that we did about Pearl Islands, and just it's really ringing true as I go back and rewatch these episodes. It's something that Jay said that there really isn't a slow part of this season. Um, there's not one specific stretch of the season that I think you can say is the strongest part of the season because I think the beginning, middle, and end all are amazing. You can make the argument that there are a couple episodes that maybe aren't as exciting or as predictable, the Rhino boot maybe being one of them, and um, this first one we're going to talk about, the conclusion to Michelle's exit, isn't that dramatic, but as a whole, you never go, I mean, more than two episodes without there being a phenomenal episode, so um, it's a very good season to watch, it's a very good season to rewatch, and it's a very good season to podcast about. I have nothing to to really add as we get started. I'd like to just jump right in and see how far we can go. But uh, just to add on Paul's point, it has to do with just the incredible characters we have. But also on a rewatch, I was saying in the Amazon podcast that Amazon really reads different on a rewatch. And I hadn't rewatched Pearl Islands in a long time, and I've just been recently rewatching it. And uh, it's really different on a rewatch. Did you guys? Uh, did that jump out to you guys? It's tough for me to say because I've seen it so many times. So, I mean, mm. nothing really jumps out at me anymore. Uh, what are you noticing? Uh, just just uh, opinions of characters. And it's not, you know, it's not in, in a Christie situation with knowing now what I knew then. It's, it's just more of, you know, you can just sort of see the editing for what it is, just how they're presenting it and stuff like that, especially with Rupert. God, we've got so much to talk about with Rupert. But Rupert rings way different on a rewatch. And it's not really because he built a coffin in All Stars. It's, 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 it's just other things as well. But we'll get into it. But episode five, uh, want to get into it? Or is there anything you want to add, Mr. Mario? I got uh, two things I want to add. One, of course you do. <laughs> Why do you think I go last? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there's uh, The main thing is that one of the things I'm noticing watching Pearl Islands, and I've noticed this before, but it's really obvious the last time, is that there is no hint whatsoever that Sandra's the winner. I mean, other than the Johnny Fairplay quote. It's one of these, like, nowadays, kind of in the modern Survivor, how they build the whole story around one winner and they get all the confessionals and stuff. Like, there is absolutely no attempt to sell Sandra as the winner through the first four episodes. In, real, in fact, I even say up through maybe even the Rupert vote, there's no attempt to, to show that she's going to be the winner. Have you guys noticed that, too? Yeah, like, if they did mm. if they did the winner package that they do now of showing, like, all these, you know, really epic interviews throughout, which I, I wish they would do because her, hers would be great because her, her whole package would be like... What the beep? What the beep? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it would be an awesome winter package to put together because, yeah, I mean, Sandra does not seem like, you know, she's even, you know, going to have much of an impact on the season besides just giving great, great sound bites. But the sound bites are so good. I was rewatching just some episodes even earlier today, uh, and my wife was just in the other room. She was doing something else. And, like, every time Sandra said something, my wife just rings in the other room, God, I love Sandra. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out is that just a little trivia thing from kind of my perspective as a columnist. It was right about this time, episode five, six in Pearl Islands, that I really decided I didn't want to write about Survivor anymore. I didn't want to be the weekly columnist. And the reason why is because what happens is I used to get all these people that email me all the time. Hey, who's your final two? Hey, what's your predictions? Who's going to be in the end? And it was right around this point in Pearl Islands. I must have got 100 emails with people wanting to predict the final two, and like 80% of them had Lil in their final two. And I'm like, why are you picking Lil to be like, I, I know no spoilers. I have no clue what's coming up in Pearl Islands. Yet every single person who emailed me seemed to know that Lil was coming back and she was going to be in the final two. So that, that was about the time in my own timeline that I just don't want to be the guy writing about Survivor anymore because everybody's got to share their theories with me and everyone knows spoilers. And that little thing just absolutely destroyed me because it really wasn't a surprise when she came back, which sucked. Yeah, that the spo- blows. The spoiler community just baffles me. Um, not that I don't – I mean I get the appeal of spoilers. It's not, it's not something I personally get into, but I can understand people wanting to know – you know what's going on and, and and you know knowing maybe knowing who the final two is or the final three in modern survivor and then just being able to kind of you know shape the season from there i get that i get that appeal but going on message boards going on the internet and then kind of lording over that knowledge is a really weird concept to me because it's like you don't necessarily i mean you know there was Wesley and those people that kind of went out to Pearl Islands and All Stars and stuff like that and did some personal snooping. But these people mm. didn't. They're literally just figure, you know, googling shit on the internet. And it's like, uh, okay, cool, I suppose. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, it was. It just really got out of control right, right, right around this point. And that's that Lil thing just always killed me. I'm like, why are they? Why does everyone predicting Lil is going to be in the final two when she's been voted out? It was just one of those things. All right, so here we go. Episode five, Burton has just been, or Drake has just thrown the challenge. They got rid of Burton, arguably the greatest challenge god in Survivor history. I don't know. That's a whole different debate. But So we're about to get the part of the season, which is the big Morgan comeback or the Drake downfall, depending how you look at it. No, this, you know, Burton Burton going out, it, we don't really get any, like, mention of this beforehand and so it almost makes me wonder that it it happens just like it's told to us that while while they're in the boat going to vote off burton you know john looks or john looks to sean and says um i'm voting for i'm voting for burton i suggest you do the same and then you get because you get back to camp and all of a sudden sean's going on and on about bashing about burton and, and saying that honestly he'd been thinking of a way to get rid of him himself which like sean is just such like he's the biggest puss i've ever met because he just <laughs> sean <laughs> is the biggest puss i've, I've ever met because he's just he has no backbone. All of a sudden, now he's like, like you know, all this Burton bashing, and you do this whole episode. You do feel bad for Michelle because Michelle at least stuck, you know, stood by Burton. I mean, I mean, granted, she's on the wrong side of things here, and we'll talk about another huge mistake she makes in the episode. But you know, just because Sean ends up being kind of a tool, then Michelle looks like the idiot who was the only one to vote for for Krista there. So, but it is kind of a funny scene that I kind of forget, you know. That, that not much attention is played to of how uh, Sean self-destructs in this game. This is kind of the beginning of his uh, um, interesting choices he makes. It's it's a weird thing because you can see Sean's logic, right? Like, fair play is like, Burton's going home. I suggest you write down Burton. So he wrote down Burton. I think that's a pretty smart move. And then, uh, you know, they get back, and then John, of course, is just being John, and now he's pointing it out to everyone, which is just, I mean, that is just fantastic, and it just completely just derails Sean. 
So then Sean's like, oh, crap. Now I've got to talk about it. So my options are, you know, yeah, I voted for Burton. You know, he was my friend, you know. And that, that's what that, I think that what most people who were smart would have done. They just would have maybe said, yeah, I, I ultimately just decided to go with the group because I'm for Drake and I'm for you guys. But no, Sean just kind of went the other route, the alpha route. Like, yeah, you know, y- y- even, even though he was part of my number strategy, I didn't need his numbers. One of the things I noticed in this latest rewatch is how much attention and how much airtime Sean gets. And like he delves off into these little subplots where we're supposed to follow his story, which it's clear you're not supposed to because he's a totally irrelevant character in the end. It's just funny how much airtime and how how much attention his storylines get. And he's kind of a fun, like fun, pathetic character to watch how, how it all goes down here. And we'll talk about as we head into next episode, kind of turns into Sean mistakenly believing that the whole game is in his hands and it, it's his game now. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a shame that everyone's forgotten about Sean because he's, he's, he's one of those rare characters that, that we get on the show that is super delusional and the, the show can really do a good job of piecing together his interviews and other people's interviews to really really showcase how delusional this guy is about how you know what an awesome player he thinks this is and then you just get slammed with interviews of everyone telling you know, telling us how much sean sucks and how he's the biggest puss the biggest ever puss met. yeah <laughs> yeah so okay so we're basically setting up now the it's basically sean and michelle are toast but in the big picture this is really the michelle the dead woman walking episode where it's like basically five people against michelle and sean floating off on his own so this is this will really be her swan song and and I always rank this episode right there along with the Christie episodes and the people who totally deserve to be booted uh, to be booted episodes. So we're, we're going to talk about the sad fate of Michelle coming up here. All right, so what do we have here? We have uh, we have the big alliance of Drake at this point, which is John, Trish, Krista, Sandra, and then I'm assuming Rupert. I think those are the big five, and uh, Michelle's on her own. And basically, Rupert at this point. He hasn't really taken part of any of the malfeasance and the throwing of the challenge or anything. He's been over on, uh, or he's he's over on Morgan now, so he didn't have to vote out Burton last night. So he's kind of still out helping the Morgans. This is kind of where they they're going to learn to work together, how to survive. And it really, as Ryan said, it's the greatest thing that could happen to them. They got a hold of old Roops, which uh, I mean. People talk about like the worst tribes in history, you know, and they bring up Mara Amu, and of course Oolong is, you know, I mean, I guess Oolong's tops. But you, you, you talk about just inept tribes in history. I would posit that the Morgan tribe has got to be up there, and it's not just it's not just the challenge thing and stuff like that. And really, this is not Jay shitting on Savage. This is little to do with Savage. It's just this tribe is so effing inept. I mean, they just are going. Fairplay has said in interviews that you know when he Fairplay is going to go over to the looting thing later. But you know, Fairplay is basically like they've got ripe coconuts on the ground, and they're using the ripe coconuts that they think are bad to throw at unripe coconuts in the trees and stuff like that. And I mean, you know, Rupert's over there, and yeah, Rupert's a, a hard worker and whatnot. But I mean, Rupert gets over there, and he's like, "You put your fucking camp on the beach," and you know, there's like logs holding it back, and Rupert's like, "You have to move this," and they're like. Do we have to? And Rupert's like, yeah. You know, and, and then, like, the, they've, they've got a Hawaiian sling. I mean, you see the Drake tribe getting all this fish. Burton getting fish. Rupert, of course, hogging the spear and getting fish. Sean losing the spear tip. But you see them using this Hawaiian sling. And it, they show you in Survivor All-Stars a season later. Yeah, look ahead in your crystal ball. That, you know, this Hawaiian sling is a very effective way to catch fish. And Rupert's, like, going to show Rhino. And Rhino's like, I had no idea how that worked. I mean, I just thought maybe, you know, you looked at it. I think he just threw it at it. You just, you know, <laughs> like, like a gun. No, uh, don't throw it. <laughs> 
<laughs> but like the Morgan drive, like they have a sling. Like you know, I've heard in interviews that you know the Morgan Beach was you know not as fish happy as that lagoon that Drake was in. I understand that fact, but still, like it was clear they had no clue how that spear worked. Like they were like, we have the spear. Fuck if I know what to do with it. But, but the but the map showed like a dorsal fin on the one side <laughs> of the island that must have meant fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the map where where they couldn't find the water hole. <laughs> yeah, now all of a sudden they're gonna put all their stock in the uh. um, in that one. But yeah, no, just just what Jay said here. This whole scene it's very funny. It's, it's I mean, you don't even have to have much of an interview. They don't even use like an interview to break it up for a while. We kind of just get this huge long dialogue of of like, okay, Rupert says we have to move the shelter back. Austin's like, why? Do we have to? Like, it's not a problem yet. Like, let's just wait till it actually becomes a problem here. Can't we just move it back? Well, then we have to like, you know, we move the fire pit, and then we get the confessional from Rupert that says that these guys work very hard at like at. What and does he say? Working. Yeah, not working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Austin's like, let's wait for our shelter to be washing away. Then we'll move it. I mean, Sean really should be on the Morgan tribe. He was he was miscast. Again, I have to point out the irony of Rupert warning people not to build a shelter on a beach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So true. So true. Yeah, the, for, the foreshadowing, it's, it's funny. Rupert telling people not to build shelters on the beach. And if you watch in particular this episode, there must be 15 establishing shots of a pelican circling or looking at the Morgan camp because it's right. about to set up what's going to happen later. So many pelican shots. And I want to stay on Pearl Islands, but spoiler alert for whenever we get to All-Stars way down the road, the Rupert building the shelter on the beach has got to be like one of my favorite scenes in the entirety of Survivor. But anyway, um, Rupert... Uh, yeah, I mean, Rupert is like, oh, my God, these people are a freaking mess, you know, and, and I did like the line. I think uh, you guys pointed it out. Uh, they work very hard at not at, at, at not working, and this is going to be a theme later. I got to point out, there's one really cool scene here, even though you, we kind of joked about it, where, where Rupert's teaching Rhino to spearfish. I always like that scene because there, there's a real subtle kind of Rhino, maybe a pops, possible winner, uh, Rhino winner edit kind of floating up around here. And what's funny is, there, I, I used to know. I have this friend named Isabella. She's probably the smartest Survivor analyst I've ever known. She knew. I mean, she could nail anything that that they were doing on Survivor, the the themes, all sorts of stuff. And she was so convinced that Rhino was going to win Pearl Islands. I remember that very distinctly. And I kind of did too around this point because Ryan gets a lot of neat little scenes, like he's learning, he's learning to be the leader, the provider, and like there was a lot of Morgan's going to have a comeback at it. So there's a real kind of subtle Rhino winner edit coming around for, for a couple episodes here. Rhino stands out as the one Morgan that was truly trapped with the ineptness of Morgan. And Rhino was inept, too. I mean, you know, the, Rhino is the guy who is quoted on camera as saying, yeah, I didn't know. I, that, I didn't know about that spear. I didn't know. I mean, clearly, you know, he's as clueless as the rest of the Morgans. But you're right. He is willing to learn. And right around his exit, you see him starting to, you know, at least try to posit some strategies. So I can buy that. Well, Andy, mm-hmm. he, you know, he deserves some kind of props for being yelled at by uh, Rupert. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> sorry, no offense. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and I did right. like I do like the Austin, you know, when Rupert comes back to fish. Nicely done, fella. <laughs> All right, so I think we're going to jump ahead to the reward challenge here. And this is the first challenge that Drake hasn't had the giant advantage of having Burton and Rupert on the same tribe. Yeah. And so you this can you can see the difference. Yeah, you can see. That's the one where they have to, they're on the boat, and John doesn't really know how to steer the boat, and they, like, go way off course. 
Yeah. So 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 now back to shitting on Savage. So this is a you know a this is a Morgan this is a Morgan win. This this roar challenge. This is row out. And then you got to have someone go dive down and get shit and then bring it back to the beach. And it's like you know Morgan wins this challenge and everyone's like ooh Morgan coming back. But it's like Morgan's boat's got you know Austin at half to one third strength. They've got Savage, who's pretty decent. They've got Rhino, who's pretty decent. And they've got Rupert paddling and Rupert jumping in the water. And Drake has Sean and fair play. <laughs> I love, uh, again, Probes just being a total dick to this whole challenge. It's a dick like, moment. Nice of you to join us, Drake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some Morgan wins. And uh, yeah, they, is, they get to lose. Yep, absolutely. And uh, yeah, uh, adding on the probes dick moments, Michelle running into the j- uh, jungle for an idol that isn't gonna matter. <laughs> yeah, I did notice as well on the. I love yeah yeah Jeff Probst dick moment. Well go, but like I do like that. Um, I think that when people say when did Jeff transition, when did Jeff sort of start to polish himself, and I think that Pearl Islands is a very noticeable difference, just the way he's handling himself at Tribal Council, uh, the way he's narrating challenges. This is more like the the modern Jeff Probst as opposed to the 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 more uh, elementary Jeff Probst from kind of the beginning seasons. This is a real noticeable difference. Yeah, although I will say in his defense, this is right after Fairplay showed up drunk at Tribal Council, which I think was the first time that it ever happened. Absolutely. I think that Jeff had to had to grow, you know, because I think that with someone like Fairplay doing Fairplay things, you kind of have to, uh, you know, put the hammer down a little bit. And like yeah. Jeff said in Season 1, Tribal Council is a sacred place. <laughs> show up drunk is like sacrilegious. Uh, so Morgan wins and uh, they get to loot. Hooray, Morgan! Well, wait, you missed the next step where Rupert has the choice. He can he can stay with oh. Drake or he can go Oops. to Morgan and use the shower. And, and Rupert comes home because he misses the Drake. I miss the Drake. But here's a nugget. People sometimes listen to us for, you know, the things that you don't see. Here's something. Fair play loosened this nugget on Dom and Colin's podcast. What you didn't see was they gave Rupert the choice. And Rupert, of course, went back to Drake. And Jeff Probst apparently at this point opened it up and said, does anybody want to switch tribes? Oh, this is oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I knew, like, I had heard the cast allude to a mutiny that, like, that the Pearl Islands contestants were given the choice to mutiny, but I, I wasn't sure when that happened. But I'm glad that you uh, cleared that up. Right, and it was it was at this moment. It was at the moment of uh, this challenge and Rupert uh, getting the choice of you know staying with Morgan and enjoying the reward or coming back. Rupert immediately comes back to Drake, and then Jeff says. I'm going to open it up now. Does anyone have want to switch tribes? Think about it. And then as they're thinking about it, he then went to one person from each tribe, and he went to Johnny Fairplay first. He said, John, uh, do you have, what do you have to say to anyone on Morgan that wants to come over to Drake? And Fairplay, in his own words, basically said something like, you know, hey, come on over. We'll have a party. You know, Fairplay type, you know, schmoozy things. And then Jeff immediately went to Savage on the Morgan tribe and said, Savage, do you have to say anything to the Morgans? And Savage said, any of you that crosses this line will get voted out immediately. <laughs> and, you know, Fairplay said that apparently Sean and Michelle really wanted to jump. And when Savage said, nope, you're not welcome over here, they decided to stay. Wow, I, didn't, I never heard that before. Yeah. And, and Dropping bombshells. <laughs> Jay Fisher, send him an email. Oh, please, please send me an email. Yeah, no, it, it was. A, it's a really interesting nugget, and it's again Exhibit B in Way to Go Savage. Could have had some extra numbers, but no. Well, it's interesting because the thing with Dara was she wanted to switch, but she also didn't want to switch too. 
<laughs> when I heard that we could switch tribes, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's too bad they didn't show that in the episode. There would have been some fun reaction shots, I'm sure. Because I think, I can't remember, I actually think, I think there was like a, a pot, I was like, I think it was the, the RTV Zone podcast, and both Rhino and Sandra were doing this. This is like posts, heroes versus villains. And Rhino was trying to remind Sandra about, remember we had the chance to mutiny? And Sandra's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, don't you remember that? Sandra's like, no. Like, Sandra completely, like, is, you know, Sandra just doesn't give a shit about it anymore. She could, you know, she, she, she couldn't care less about it. But obviously it's still weighing on some of their minds. But Sandra, who cares? Wow. All right. So here we go. We're going into the looting scene, which uh, very similar to the uh, Rupert kind of teaching Rhino how to spearfish. I know, again, people do not like it's Randy Savage, but there's a really good scene here where he comes and he and Rupert have a nice little moment where it's kind of not even like a game moment where Rupert explains later, you know, that wasn't him looting. That was me helping a friend like Rupert tells him, take more rice. No, take you more. You need more food. Please take this as a friend so you don't starve. And that's, if you want to, you could say, I want that whole thing. And he's like, I wouldn't do that. No, Savage comes off very nice in this. And, uh, you know, for as much as my Andrew Savage is not a good leader, I think Andrew Savage is a great character on Survivor. And I think that he's probably an an amazing human being in real life. So I don't really have much bad to say about him. And in this scene, you can see he's he he seems like just a completely stand up dude. And, you know, I think the scene really spokes more speaks more about the demonstrativeness of Rupert because, you know, Rupert decides you can take whatever the fuck you want to take. But yeah. I'm going to tell you what I want you to take. And I want you to, you know, blah, blah, blah. and you can just see Savage like, Jesus, Rupert. <laughs> well, Savage, that, the thing that, that I pick up from that scene is how embarrassed Savage is that they're in this position where he has to beg for food. Right. Like he's, he, he can't even come over there and steal stuff. He, he needs food. They're going to die if he doesn't bring right. his food back to his family. So it's just, it's just really kind of a humanizing scene that I always, it always kind of jumps out at me when I watch it because there's no strategy involved. Even though no. Andrew kind of says later, he's like, well, it's diplomacy. I know I have to mer- live with these people after the merge. So I'm not going to steal their stuff. But, like, it's really just two dudes helping each other out. So yep. it's, and I always again, like that scene. Yep. And again, a uh, little spoiler alert going in here. I think it was I think it was this episode. It might have been the next one. But this is for sure one of the last two episodes that the All-Stars going on server All-Stars had seen. And this is what they're seeing of Rupert. I know uh, I think Rob talks about this on, his, on the All-Stars commentary i believe is when he brings it up that that was kind of the impression they had of rupert going into all stars which was you know i think it ends up helping rupert on a second run that that's lasting in everyone's mind who's you know watching pearl islands is that you know rupert's nice rupert's kind rupert will work with you he's a nice guy extremely so sincere they, yeah so, so they didn't see the scene where he almost choked johnny fairplay mm-hmm. in about an <laughs> yeah so the, who the, voted for me <laughs> who the f- voted for me John! Okay, sorry, that was a spoiler. <laughs> we'll get there. And we didn't get to the rot and death scene, which we'll oh. have a lot of fun with later. <laughs> All yeah. right. So we get, the, you're right, it is a very good humanizing scene. But then, uh, is there anything before we get to the tree mail for the immunity challenge and we could talk about Michelle for a bit? Not really. I don't have any notes for this episode up to the smoothie challenge. So okay. I think this is about where we are. So they get tree mail, and the tree mail basically alludes to gross food. And then they talk about Michelle gets a confessional, and they basically talk about how she has been training for gross food. And apparently, gross food is like her bitch in life. And, you know, they're going whatever, right? So then John is like, 
all right, so here's the deal. You need to basically, because it's going to go to a tie, because all food challenges go, tribal food challenges go to a tie. And so what you need to do is you need to like have such trouble with your food the first time that they pick you to do, be our representative. And then you just slam it home and just take over the win. She's like, I'm going to do that. No problem. <laughs> Which, you know, being that you're at the bottom of the totem pole on your tribe would be a good strategy to kind of go along with this when they tell you to do it, and it's something you're good at anyway. Well, you know, obviously it doesn't work out for them, but I think it's another great example of how the Drakes, you know, really knew what they were doing. They really thought about stuff. They came up with a plan, and I think, you know, a lot of that goes to John's credit. I mentioned um, that during that first challenge about how he had really, he had kind of deceived his own team, you know, in the efforts of getting them to run fast from the beginning. And I think this is another prime example of, of the Drake tribe led by John, you know, thinking one step ahead of the Morgans, which is why they, you know, why they're, they're a much more successful tribe. Fortunately, you get, you know, maybe someone who can't swallow his or her pride, and then we run to the situation we run into. Well, what I wanted to point out is that you, you mentioned that John says every every gross food challenge ends in a tie. You know, we've established that John was not really a big Survivor fan. He only started really researching Survivor right before he left, and mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. you know his friends kind of helped him out. So it's interesting that he did so much research and he absorbed it so well that he, he instantly knew that all the food challenges won in a tiebreaker. So it's and again, it's there's so many little things you know remember about Fairplay that he's a villain, that he's cocky, that he was drunk, but like. This dude is a quick learner, and he kind of gets how Survivor works. He picked it up really quick, so that's just to his credit. I, I don't think anybody ever mentions that about him. We're going to drop more John Nuggets on the way because John is, is fascinating, and the reason why he people try to imitate his game but don't don't uh, but fail to do so is because of the little things that John also did that weren't necessarily highlighted uh, at the at the time. And one of them is this, is just the fact that he knows the game in and out. And yeah, he learned it quick, as we said. It's not like he was watching from day one or something like that. He took a crash course a couple weeks before he went out there. But he retained the information and he knew what he was doing. Uh, but I liked this food challenge. The fact that, you know, they got to roll a little roulette wheel is, remind me of Australia a little bit. But then the fact that, you know, Jeff got to blend up smoothies and just be Jeff Probst's dick moment for the entire <laughs> fucking challenge. Well, yeah, and they brought back the mixer music from Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's my one of my favorite pieces of music in Survivor history because it's going to be a fun scene when you hear that music, and this is no exception. Yeah, they get to sit on the bench, and uh, basically, you know, each member gets to go up to this roulette wheel that Jeff spins, and then uh, they roll a ball in there each, and then basically Jeff's going to make a smoothie out of whatever two gross foods come up. And I think that there's one good item. I think there's mango in there. But then everything else is pretty damn gross. And then there's a there's a slot on there called Jeff's Special, which basically means Jeff's going to put fucking everything in there. So, you know, that's fun. I love the bleeding clams. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't watch this challenge without instantly wondering. <laughs> I instantly wondered what bleeding clams were. With. Do I really want to know what those are? But those things are, na- to quote Dina, they are nasty ass. As nasty ass. Although, if you look, the thing that everyone's really upset about is the seawater. Nobody wants to get the seawater in their smoothie. That, I mean, my God, see, that's so salty. And then you get everything else in there. That's just got to be gross as hell. And I got to point out, this challenge is great because a couple little... See a couple little moments just from this challenge ended up on the funny one fifteen. Just, just it's little character moments of characters coming up and interacting, and usually having little quips to each other. And of course, my favorite is the John with John and Derek come up and John <laughs> hit on her. <laughs> Did, <laughs> That's the one where 
Yeah, Dara, we're Dara, do you think uh, do you think uh, do you think John would have a chance? You know, in in in, in real life. Yeah, do you think he'd have any chance at all? None. But she's no like, offense. No and Rupert's like, no offense. No but offense, no. Huh, but no. Yeah, and then Austin just busts up. It's just this is one of the better scenes of the season. I think this whole challenge. It's just funny. So then, of course, it's it's th- this is a great. As Mario pointed out, this is Michelle's boot is is very satisfying in the sense that we see it from beginning to end. We see her on the outs at the beginning, then we see them talking and saying, "Michelle, you have to feign like you can't swallow the smoothie the first time, but eventually get it down so that you'll pick out." And then Michelle gets up there and she's just smiling away and you know not looking afraid. And I mean, you could hear John in the background just going, "Oh, she does not want to drink this." <laughs> but I mean, you know, it, it's feeble as hell. And then Jeff gets the thing and she looks at it and then she just powers that thing down like no problem. I mean, it is just the worst thing ever. And then you just see her like totally go against everything, slam the the, the smoothie down. And then you just see John like just bow his head against Krista or something it's like not that. Even, it's not even that she didn't go along with it. It's like she like did so well that Rhino says, wow, kicked my ass. Yeah, she pounds down the drink and then burps. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those, like, there, there are very few more boots that were more deserved than Michelle. <laughs> You're already at the bottom of your totem pole. They all want to get rid of you. They all can't stand you. And you do that, you just specifically defy John in front of everybody. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Although, in her defense, I think in an interview, she came out after the season and said, you know, I meant to throw the challenge, but I got up there and it was so gross and so nasty that I didn't think I was going to be able to. So she thought if she started pretending to gag, she would actually gag. So it's actually not as she's not as brazen in it in real life as it appeared in the episode. She really, I think, did have a hard time with it. No, I, I can totally get that. And I actually was going to uh, going to suggest because if you're training for gross food, I mean, obviously, part of the whole eating gross food is, you know, getting it down as fast as you can and not really tasting it or thinking about it or something like that. And so, like, if she's trained on, you know, eating something really quickly, putting it in your mouth, chewing and swallowing, or in this case for a smoothie, just, you know, kind of doing the chug and chug and pound, like, then they're like, no, you got to really have a struggle with it. It's like if you struggle with it, then maybe you will actually struggle with it. I like that she spent all that time training herself to take disgusting things down her throat. Like, there's so many jokes you could make about that that I won't. <laughs> Why? What we'll jokes can you make from that? Slide. I was going to say, wow, she was very popular at the frat parties. <laughs> what, what, what are you implying? I don't understand. Right, let's move on. We'll get the Montana PG-13 rating on this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she doesn't, yeah. and then they keep going, and then uh, final course, the, the tiebreaker is what? Uh, Sandra, is it Sandra against uh, Dara? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sandra against Dara. Which the whole build up, you think it's going to be Trish because that's all they talk about pre, you know, prehand <laughs> is that Trish can't do anything, and then all of a sudden they uh, they throw Changa up there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to point out, you know, as fun as as lighthearted as this challenge is, it's really exciting at the end. Yeah, that's something I noticed when I was watching yeah. it. Like that, that's a really good challenge. It's like right down to the the wire too, and like everyone's cheering and screaming. It's just, it's one of those challenges that really jumps out at me as being really well done. Yeah, it, it, but it's, this is not like a Boston Rob with the Farfaru or. Or, uh, you know, Kimmy with eating the worm and Tina not being able to put something down. Like, Sandra and Dara struggled with getting the gross food down, but they both got, eventually got it down, right? Then it, then it's just really, this is just really a challenge of who can do it faster. So I think that that's, it's less of like, oh, is someone going to puke? It's just, it, it became more of an intense battle of, oh, God, who's, you know, it's going to come down on the wire. Who's going to do it first? And ironically, it might have been Sandra's greatest challenge performance ever. <laughs> 
Uh, well, no, she held out for like five minutes in that one challenge that Rupert had to hold all the weight up. Six, <laughs> yeah. six if she had to. <laughs> I do like though when Jeff goes to the seawater and she's like, no. <laughs> Like she kind of puts her hand out there, like she's gonna like knock out, like knock, <laughs> knock the jar out of his hand. Yep, but I think in 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 say to move on, Drake loses the challenge, and yes, one of Morgan's epic comeback wins is winning the tiebreaker of a gross food challenge. Way to go, <laughs> savage leadership! And uh, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty unceremonious at this point. It looked like Michelle from the beginning, and then we get we we get a very illustrated view of why Michelle goes home, and Michelle goes home, but then she throws up on camera, so that's also yeah. good. Yeah, there's a great scene in there. It's one of my. I can't believe I didn't put this on the funny one fifteen where Rupert's giving her a pep talk. It's like you're a great, you're a challenge performer. We love you. And the whole time she's not listening because she's bent over, <laughs> ass up, puking. <laughs> it's supposed to be this nice, poignant scene, and all you see is her ass pointing in the air, and she's throwing up. Yeah, good ass shot. And then you just see the Rupert like talking, and he just goes over, and you can see with his hand, he's literally just taking dirt and like throwing it over the puke. It has some you know? like <laughs> nice, nice, soothing music in the background. <laughs> Oh, it's killing me. That was that's funny. One fifteen gold. That would have been a great write up. That that one kills me that I missed that one. You really should write an article. Just you, I'm not, I'm not saying you need to go back and fix the one in fifteen one fifteen. You know, you, it's out there. It's great, but you know, you you could write some article of like you know things that could have made it. You know, yeah. No, oh, yeah. not, not like errors, just like these were also funny too. And you know, you don't need to do. You can do like five or so. Yeah. You know, not plus not five. like five. The funny fifteen plus five. Yeah, this moment in particular haunts me. That is such an unintentionally hilarious scene. I mean, that's coach-level hilarious. The only thing that would have made it funny if that if Corazon was in the bushes watching Michelle puke and was really enjoying it. <laughs> yes. You know what would have gone well with that scene? Margaritas! Margaritas! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, and of course, we're glossing over one of the Johnny Fairplay's other great confessionals where he says... Hey, I got something for Michelle's ego, and he holds up the middle finger to the camera. <laughs> That's great. That's we've, awesome. We've come a long way from the nice descriptive confessionals from people like Sonia to Johnny Fairplay. Just like up a middle finger. <laughs> Lord oh, help me. I, I'm, I'm just going to say it right now. I'm going to say it. Johnny Fairplay is my favorite character in Survivor history. I think he's just bar none one of the top best things ever. And he does stuff like this, and it just makes me squeal with delight. I don't know what that says about me, but I love it. All right, so uh, what do we got here? I think we're we're kind of skipped over a scene that the editors and the producers really wanted us to think was important, and that's Rupert finding a snake. Even though it's only it only goes on for like like a, a minute and a half, and the snake's dead. And like, this damn oh. scene is a question on Survivor Micronesia fans versus favorites when they have a trivia contest. In which really? season did a castaway have a pet snake? That's how important this minute and a half is. I brought my snake to tribal council. <laughs> and they have to put it in the recap of the next episode. <laughs> Rupert showed well, up think... to the challenge with a, uh, with a new friend. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't the name of the next episode Me and My Snake? Yes, yes. it is. Yes. <laughs> they are obsessed with this damn snake. Yeah, I think this is the first uh, incident of the producer's uh, pushing a certain character into the fan favorite vote, which of course yes. we don't have the fan favorite vote yet, but this is a good instance of up. they are going to tell you who the hero of the season is. Yes. 
He found a baby snake. But I mean, we couldn't, looking back on it, we couldn't get enough of it. Like Rupert had a snake and he named it Balboa. And you know, that that was, you know, on the, on the path of this pirate theme. And you know, I just remember at the time just going like, that's fucking amazing. And you look back at it now. I don't want you to die. So I'm going to lock you up in this bag. (laughs) Oh, Rupert. Well, it's better than building at a shelter on the beach, Paul. He could have done that. Yeah. The only thing that would have been better is if they made some of Mice and Men reference and had some like smarter guy leading Rupert along, and Rupert just <laughs> unintentionally kills the snake by. Oh my it. god, that's what this season is! It's of yeah. Mice and Men. There's Rupert and there's Fair Play. There you go. It's George and Lenny. Oh George my god. And, Lenny. <laughs> and you got Sean walking around with a glove full of Vaseline, like Curly. It's perfect. Nice. That's real obscure. Nice. Nice. <laughs> So, so Michelle, uh, M- Michelle gets voted out six uh, one. We all vote out Michelle. Any parting words for Michelle? Well, the only thing I want to point out of this tribal council is Rupert. You know, the weight of the world on his shoulders. We shouldn't have thrown that challenge. That was the worst idea in the world. And so, like Rupert is just this. He's this, going through this huge depression right now, and Fairplay, of course, still couldn't care less. He's walking around with his cocky little strut, doing his finger thing. It's just it's, the little dichotomy between Fairplay and Rupert is just so so wonderful. You know, but at the time, again, we are all behind Rupert. I'm watching this thing, and I mean, I loved Rupert. We all were just like, oh, my God, can't get enough Rupert. And when Rupert's like, we shouldn't have thrown the damn challenge. It was the worst mistake ever. We were like, he's right. Oh, my God. Morgan's won, you know, three challenges in a row now. I mean, it all started with that thrown challenge. Now you look at it and you're like, eh, you know, thrown, it wasn't so bad. But uh, at the time you were like, yeah, Rupert, I tell you. Oh, my God. But well, that's the thing. Like, I, there was this huge edit, the editing shift kind of right here that Morgan was going to win. Like, all everybody I knew at the time thought a Morgan was going to win because Rupert was foreshadowing it. Like, we threw the challenge. It's going to cost us. So it's. It's one of those when the outcasts come, it really kind of turns the game on its head because not that's not the direction the story was headed. You know, before Michelle uh, heads out here, she uh, she also gets a little more uh, sass before she goes, which is another indication I think she could have been you know a much bigger character. When Jeff says he has this huge long thing at at tribal council, he's asking questions that he's trying to make the case that now Morgans they are the powerhouse in their minds. Cut to Michelle. Uh, that's a lot of crap. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Jeff's trying to make a great point, and she just shoots him down. <laughs> Jeff's like, "No, this is the story of the season." She's like, "Nah, I don't think so." <laughs> She's like, "Crap." Yeah. <laughs> Poor Michelle. You know, I like Michelle. It's, it's she was one of those could have been a great characters. Like I said, I think earlier, she's. I would say she's easily one of the most forgotten cute girls in Survivor history, and I always kind of liked her. She was. She just wasn't around very long. She adds nothing to the story. She totally deserves her boot, probably just as much as Christy. But yeah, she just is kind of forgotten. No one really even remembers her anymore. Well, I think that Survivor at this time, it's still a time before, you know, casting gets real molded and archetyped. I mean, I think in more modern Survivor, you know, pageant queens, you know, abound and things like that. And it's like, you know, I still think that you're right. Survivor has started to shift away from, I mean, they used to, they used to cast like super, like exceptionally exceptional people in, in life. And, and, and they still do to some degree, but I think they were looking for more average Joes, but they started to look for average Joes and beauty Queens. 
Mm-hmm. And and at the time they aren't doing this in Pearl Islands, and so really we're just kind of getting uh, a real real women. And it's like I think that you know Pearl Islands, you know they've got some attractive girls on the season. I think you know Dara and Tawana are, 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 are attractive women, but I think Michelle was the cutest or one of the cutest. But I mean in this powerhouse season, she's kind of forgotten, and it's like well okay, yeah. And it's I mean it's going to be even more so with. A potentially great character you don't remember in the next episode, Trish. I mean, it's we're losing these characters that could have been big characters in any other season. Right, exactly. All right, on to episode six. Any more thoughts about Michelle? No, but because I want to talk about Balboa the Snake. God, I want to get there. <laughs> okay, we go to episode six. And of course, since this is the Rupert show, we open with Rupert, of course, lamenting like, we gave the game back to Morgan. They don't even see it. You know, this is Rupert's you know first... First time we're going to hear him talk about Tribal Council because it was the first time he had gone to Tribal Council. And this sets the precedent that Rupert does not do well at Tribal Council. And uh, (laughs) we're going to get that he hates all things Tribal Councils and we're going to hear him lament every time he has to go to Tribal Council. Yes. It's an interesting shift in the way the game is played because it's a very very fun thing. You know, there was a... uh, there's a clip somewhere in one of those old Survivor Borneo clips, and you see Richard Hatch, and it's kind of them talking sort of, you know, as they just get out there on the island. And Rich is basically saying, you know, like, we need to figure out how we're going to win all the immunities. Because, you know, in Rich's mind, as, you know, the, the basic Survivor strategy is, you don't go to Tribal Council, because if you go to Tribal Council, you run the risk of being voted out of the game, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, as the game evolves going to tribal council is not necessarily a bad thing for you, you know, cause then you can kind of mold the odds in, in, in your favor. Right. And it's, you know, Rupert's not thinking that way. Rupert's like, we got to stay away. Oh my God. The Drakes are going to go down. <laughs> and then the death of his snake. Oh! Poor Rupert. So much rot and death involved in Balboa's death. <laughs> I love how he's just like, I found the snake and it's like horribly hurt and near death and then it dies and he's like super pissed about it. It's like, well, what'd you expect there, buddy? Well, yeah. and, and the and the perfect person to console him is Sean. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, sexy, sexy, Rupert. There, there, Rupe. <laughs> yeah, so it's just a cute little character scene at the start of the episode. It leads to absolutely nothing other than making people want to love Rupert, but they did love Rupert, so... We get, we so get, well done, well done. We, it has to juxtapose because we have to get the the touching animal moment on Drake, and then we have to go over to Morgan with a more hilarious animal moment. Yes. You have the touching moment on one side, and then the other one, the one where the animal's not allowed to touch you ever. <laughs> uh, a pelican comes. This is the famous pelican scene where it comes down, and and uh, Ryan nicknames him Pelican Pete, and of course Austin is just like, no fucking way, get that thing away from me. <laughs> you know, I could watch this scene. Hundreds of times, I'll never get tired of it. It's, it's just, great. It's this just innocent good. little pelican who just was wandering around looking for food, and Austin, Austin is ready to beat this thing to death with a shovel. He's so scared of it, and like everyone else is just laughing. And and Austin, I mean, Austin clearly sees no joke in this whatsoever. He is he wants no part of this stupid pelican. And it's one of those scenes that it's kind of lived on over the years, and 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 it's uh, acquired a reputation as being this amazing scene from Pearl Islands. And it really does stand up when you watch it because it's always funny. I forget if I mentioned this earlier. A couple of years ago, I ran a uh, a contest. It was like a Survivor contest. So you could write the best essays about Survivor. And but my an, an entrance an entrance exams like the test to get in the contest was you had to write a plea 
for uh, America, America's Survivor, I forget what the contest was that All Stars were like the winner, the all fan favorite gets a million dollars. America's Tribal Council, and so I said, okay, why don't you write a plea from a unlikely survivor who would never win America's Tribal Council? And I just had people send me these essays, and I swear to God, half the essays I got were from Austin. <laughs> they were just people writing how Austin would plead to America for how they why would they should give him a million dollars, and they always cracked me up because they always involved in some way the Pelican, and a lot of them were like. I would use the million dollars to build an anti-Pelican bubble, so I would be safe forever. <laughs> I just remember that always cracked me up, so that's that's what I think of when I think of this scene. The oh. Austin trying to build an anti-Pelican bubble. The phrase fueling my temple was not uh, put in there in any way? No, the Pelican was the one they tend to focus on. It's a good scene, and, you know, I, I can totally relate. I mean, that Pelican gets super close. I mean, it's spreading its wings. I mean, you know, that can be pretty frightening, but, you know, they all took it in stride, except for Austin. Poor guy. I mean, he was just done. <laughs> he was yeah he's checking out so of course we have the wonderful leader of andrew savage keeping ot in the game ot is ready to leave and savage is going to keep him in there despite all these pelican difficulties <laughs> way to go <laughs> all right yeah and we should point out again my, my wife is a huge fan of rhino and a, a, one of the reasons is because he's the nice one with the animals he's really good with pelican pete and he goes and, and pets it and stuff like that so i'll point that out again good scene good job rhino all right, so where are we? Are? Okay, we go back to Drake. We have a fight between Sean and John about raising the shelter off the sand. I, I didn't want to talk too much about this other than, as always, John is usually correct in the fights. And it's always, it's again, people don't give John credit for being a hard worker. But again, the fight is over the fact that John is a hard worker and Sean's not, and John takes offense at it, which I think a lot of people kind of forget. You know, all, what I thought about during this scene was, was the point that you made last podcast, Mario, about how John cannot be this awful of a person if, in the middle of this here, we cut to confession of Sandra talking about, you know, that, you know, Sean needs to get a clue that he ain't nobody's buddy out here. He better make sure we win the challenge or he's going home. And so if Sandra's taking the side of Sean and all this, I don't think John's that bad of a person. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. John was not disliked among his tribe, at least not until we're going to get, get up to the Trish vote coming up where they kind of turn on him. But yeah, to this point, <clears throat> he's very much a part of the group. He's a part of the group, and he works. And a lot of people are like, I'm going to go on Survivor, and I'm going to you know, fair play the whole thing. And it's like, easier said than done. Not only is fair play just a master at what he's doing, he also, the tribe liked him. You know, and they and they and they and they respected his opinion up to a point, obviously. But they were they they respected him, and John worked. He worked hard. You see him in all those scenes. He is putting in his effort, and everyone's like, "I'm going to go on Survivor. I'm just going to kick back and let people do things, and I'm going to run the game." It's like you got to work. You have to work. If everyone else is working, you have to work. Yeah, simple logistics. It's not just a strategy game; it's a social game. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we get to the reward challenge where they shoot cannonballs. Sweet. What I always remember about the scene is the fact that those cannonballs don't even go remotely close to straight. If you watch some of those shots, like those things veer off 80 degrees in a certain direction at certain points. Well, they're smoothbore cannons. I mean, yeah. they're, they're not supposed to be accurate. They never were. I mean, you have to rifle them in order for them to be anything. Absolutely. Well, and the thing about well, this I, challenge, it makes me wonder if they like had originally intended for those like targets to like, break or like fall apart or fall down yeah, they just make a little hole they make these tiny little yeah. holes that they, like zoom in on and so it's it's something went wrong there with someone got fired for that did i, did I hit it i don't know <laughs> i don't know let's let me get my binoculars out and check yeah. let me see if my powerful cannon can put a one inch hole in that paper target 
Yeah, it just makes a noise. It doesn't even make like an explosion or a boom or I mean, at least on top shot today and stuff like that. Like when they shoot like a little gun at a little thing, like they have like 45 explosions behind it. So they're like, holy shit. It's like this one. They're firing a fucking cannon. And then it's like it makes a noise like it just goes. (laughs) There's one little moment that I remember from this challenge where Austin loads his cannon and then to check to see if it's loaded, he looks directly. at Like, oh, Austin, honey, please don't do that. Face away, kiddo. Yeah. Let's just say that Austin's survival instincts are not strong. <laughs> oh, but uh, Krista. Yeah, win. yeah, Krista. Good. She's the big star here. Yay, Krista. And then they yeah. win. They win steak. They win steak and a grill and spices. It's good. And I think this is the first uh, appearance of John's little scarf that he has, his fair play scarf. Yeah, that's I his fair play on before, it. But it yeah, I always call that his Slytherin house scarf. Uh, I <laughs> refer to that in my column, but yeah, that is. I love John's little his scarf that that Nana Nana maybe Grandma knitted it for him before he came out. That's his last remembrance of her. Oh come on! I would love to hear the backstory. Yeah, I bet he had some story of that scarf that Grandma was involved. <laughs> no, didn't they have? No, it's the sewing kit. They had the sewing kit. Oh, they made that. He made it there. Probably. Oh, I like to think he brought that. Okay, that's better. That makes more sense. <laughs> Um, yeah, but they win. And then, uh, I think the funny part is, you know, yeah, they barbecue their steaks and that's all fun. And Sean eats and haha. But then, uh, John gets to go loot. <laughs> I get to go loot. I get to stomp on their pride. I get to crush them. This is a great John scene. This is a good Andrew scene too. Cause uh, I think you pointed it out, Mario. And, and I didn't even point this out or I didn't notice this at first, but you did. It's the fact that, uh, <laughs> that Andrew calls him little John. And then when he's <laughs> looting and stuff like that, he calls him big John. That's yeah. fantastic. It's great. My wife cracks up at that every single time. Cause yeah, anytime they talk about John on Morgan, they call him the little, little motor mouth or they call him little John. And the minute that Fair Play shows up, Savage is like, hey, Big John. <laughs> yeah, it's just a little character quirk. So it's it's a good scene with Savage trying to, you know, trying to hold it together and stuff like that. And Fair Play just going like, hey, I'm going to take your water pot. Oh, yeah, I'll take some shampoo. Oh, by the way, we totally fucking threw that challenge. <laughs> I know. It's just one of those hubris moments in Survivor where, you know, the Drakes are up by one challenge. Fair Play is going to go over there and finish them off. He's like, I'm going to destroy their morale. I'm just going to kick them right in the nuts. Like, I'm glad they can include him because the last two lootings, you know, didn't go that way. You know, you have Andrew and Rupert being BFF. You have Trish going the type before, which is like, I was trying to convince him not to take anything, but you yeah. know, I guess we'll take your broken lamp. And then we have John just pissing them all off. Well, the only two that really got into the spirit of the looting, of course, were Fair Play and Sandra. Sandra, of course. Hey, Sandra, she, of course. Hey, she's got to do what she's got to do, right? Oh, she's such a bitch. <laughs> well, this thing has got to come down. But yeah, this is, I mean, one of my top 20 favorite moments in Survivor history. That Fair Play, you know, kicks them, the Morgans right in the nuts as hard as he can. And Savage gets so pissed about this, he's going to come back and single-handedly win the next challenge just to shove it in John's face. And he's got the little rant here. I forgot to write it down in my notes where <clears throat> I have it on the, one, on the funny 115 where Savage says, you know, to say that we didn't fair and square win that challenge, little bastard, or little pissant, <laughs> that's just poor sportsmanship. Did you write it down? I don't have it word for word. It's just one of my favorite speeches, though. This great rant from Andrew, Andrew Savage, and it ends with, let's take the gloves off. Let's have some fun. <laughs> and we cut right to the next challenge, which is the weight-bearing challenge, where Andrew Savage will single-handedly keep the Morgans in the game and, and tie it up against Drake. Even against Sean... 
even against Sean and yeah, against the biggest puss, which it's funny because it doesn't Krista outlast Sean. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I've got it now just so we can lead into this. He says he claims he threw that chess checker water challenge. Well, I think that's just nonsense. And I think that's bad sportsmanship by him little bastard to indicate that we didn't fair and square win that challenge. So I don't think that they did throw it, but for that little piss ant to take that away from us is ridiculous. So let the games begin. Let's take the gloves off and let's see what they're made of. Let's have some fun. Well done. Which, which is funny. I mean, this is legit for as much as I'm like, Andrew Savage is a bad leader. Andrew Savage is a beast mode in this challenge <laughs> and single-handedly wins this challenge. This, this to me is like the one legit Morgan victory amongst their few victories. And it is completely on the shoulders of Andrew Savage. It is incredible thing. And what's so funny is that John's like, I'm going to go over there and kick them while they're down. And it's like, well, that had the opposite effect, but, uh, by the way, just a quick little funny character moment, right? Right before we get to the challenge, you know, Morgan and Drake come to the weight bearing challenge and they start, you know, Jeff talks to them how things are going. And <clears throat> at one point, Krista says something in her weird Krista way and they immediately cut to Dara and Dara's got a look on her face like, what the fuck did she just say? <laughs> it's just a funny little, yeah, it's a she, great little character moment. I've, I've, <laughs> yeah, he's like, wow, like what happened to your face? She's like, yeah. I've acquired some new uh, freckles. They're pretty cool. <laughs> Dara, what the hell? Yeah. Cut to Dara with the mouth open, Dara confused look. What? Weight bearing challenges. You know, you gotta, you know, you gotta, you just gotta, you know, get people out. I mean, you know, there's always different strategies, but, you know, they, Andrew Savage just, I mean, it didn't matter. I mean, he just was gonna hold that weight all day, and he did. Yeah, that's the thing. Anybody, you know, I understand your argument that he isn't a great leader because it's it's kind of a tough argument. I understand the flaws in my side where I think he's an awesome leader, but nobody can deny that Savage is the man in this challenge. This is he, the one I will I will hear none of it. There will be no uh, uh, no debates about this one. And I and I wouldn't argue because he's yeah. the man. <laughs> he is the man. It may be one of the most impressive performances in Survivor history. I mean, this is up there with the Gabriel pulling all the rocks out of the boat. Just one, it's one of those moments where it's like, wow, I can't believe he did that. So yeah, so Savage single-handedly wins the challenge, and at the end he like drops to a knee and he's injured, and oh, they all rally around him. It's just one of those really great moments. Oh yeah, and the Drakes are just screwed. I mean, it's like they're screwed. It's now five. Is it five 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 going into the merge, mm-hmm. or five five going into? They don't know the merge is coming or what's they, coming. But yeah, they now- they they have better been praying for an angel in a Boy Scout uniform to save them. That's <laughs> all I gotta say. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Lil. Oh, we'll have plenty to say about Lil. Okay, so, yeah, Morgan wins the immunity challenge, and it's and uh, this is where, okay, so Drake, Drake's going to Tribal Council, and and uh, who's it between? It's between, they're trying to get, no, Trish tried to get Rupert out. That's what's going on here. That's right. Yeah. yeah, Trish, quite correctly, has identified Rupert as having way more power than anybody else on the island. He has influence over everything. He's in an alliance with two girls who make kissy face with him every five minutes. He's best buddy with the Morgans, and this has kind of been forgotten over history, but she's very correct that Rupert was probably the right choice to take out right there. You know, before, when Burton, Burton will come back in a second and drive around here, and he kind of becomes, you know, the, the person to work with with John. I, I wouldn't say one is the other one's sidekick, because they kind of work nicely hand in hand, but Trish is like the Burton that could have been. Like, mm-hmm. if Trish makes the merge, Burton doesn't come back, like, Trish and John could have done some damage in that game because as soon as she uh, had this idea, John was like, yep, 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 let's do this. John- yeah, see, I've always thought she is just as devious and 
cold-hearted as John is as a strategist. They were a great team. John has said in interviews that that uh, he really enjoyed Trish and thought that Trish was. Uh, jo- John doesn't have much nice to say about anybody this season and calls them all pretty fucking clueless. But he, he does say that Trish was you know, a schemer, and he really enjoyed Trish and, and thought that Trish was underrated. Well, and even yeah. Sandra said from day one, she's a snake and cannot be trusted. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny you, you say that, Jake, because I was going to say, I bet if somebody asked John who his best ally was during Pearl Islands, I bet he would say Trish. Yeah. And it's one of those things you don't really notice unless you know you pay attention to how often the two of them are kind of scheming together. Yep, but poor Sean. It's Sean. I want him out of my adventure and off my island. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he uh, he helps Roop out here. And uh, he helps Rupert, Krista, and Sandra vote out Trish. And, what's, you know. Yeah, what's the timeline? It's John and Trish go to Sandra. Sandra goes to Rupert, and then Rupert freaks out and pulls in Sean, right? That's how it goes? Yeah, well, because there's Chris, because... Um, Krista, didn't yeah, Krista discover Krista's, it? Yeah, Krista's <laughs> kind of in the middle here, because Sandra's kind of sitting there, she kind of gets, like, lumped in with, like, Trish and John, and Sandra doesn't really say anything, she's just kind of absorbing absorbing this, and then she and Krista talk, they're like, uh, oh, maybe this isn't the best idea, let's, let's, it's too soon here, let's go to Rupert, and then Rupert goes to, to Sean there. Yeah. Okay, and then, yeah, and so so basically Trish and John are hung out to dry because Rupert has somehow turned the tables. I, I would argue Krista and Sandra really turned the tables, but, you know, it was in their best interest to keep Rupert around. He was kind of their golden their golden god. They're kind of rallying around. He's getting all the food. He's their big, strong target they can kind of hide behind, so they don't want Rupert gone. So, yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, people badmouth Trish. You know, she made a stupid move and she got herself voted out. But uh, again, it really was the right move. She just didn't talk to the right pieces. She should have gone. They should have gone to Sean first, not to Chris and Sandra. And this is where we lose Trish, who, again, I would argue, had the breaks just gone a little differently, could have been the next Tina Wesson. I mean, she was a badass. And uh, you know, before we say goodbye to her, we have another awesome, you know, Sandra confessional at Tribal Council. Sandra, how sure of you, how sure are you that it's not you? Oh, I know it ain't me. <laughs> <laughs> the person who is going home tonight is the person that in the last few dates has told so many stories. No one knows what to believe. This person will be missed, but for the good of the tribe, this person has got to go home. <laughs> yeah, and then Trish just looks at her like, what? <laughs> <She's> just like, <laughs> she gives her the Daryl look like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Although also, also at that tribal council, this is one where they get there. And Rupert is so hurt that people are trying to vote him out. Yes. Right. Ready to cry. It's the thing. Yeah. It's like you look at him. He's like a basset hound. Like he looks so sad. There's Rupert's one of those guys who has no internal monologue whatsoever. I mean, what he's what he's thinking will be on his face. And he is so hurt that his Drake adventure has turned on him. I mean, this is like the fall of the road to this is like the end of the innocence episode where they tried to vote me out. Half my tribe wants me gone. I think if someone made a drinking game out of the amount of heavy size that Rupert gives at Tribal Council, they'd be dead by like the second episode. I just, I just, it's so dramatic. And, and Jeff's like, Have you given up hope? Dramatic pause. Can't give up hope. <laughs> keep, you have, keep, you get, keep you, hope you, alive. Russell will you, steal that one later. You, you, have to, you have to give the big shoulder like heave. The, can't give up hope. <laughs> Krista shaking her head like, no, can't give up hope at all. Well, that's the thing. 
so many people kind of think Rupert's kind of a douchey character now. Like he plays for the fan favorite vote. Like he plays to the cameras. He clearly wasn't doing that in Pearl Islands. I mean, he. This is just what he's like. So it's like he's such an amazing character, and I think it's kind of a shame that people think they kind of got tired of Rupert in his later incarnations. But he's so amazing in Pearl Islands. He's just absolutely. Again, like no internal monologue. What he's thinking will be right on his face every time. He can't hide it from anybody. Rupert, I think, is the best example ever in Survivor of right place, right time. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. For the pirate season, even. For the pirate season, where, you know, they got to, you know, get their stuff, and then he got to, you know, basically showcase his, his you know, uh, he got to basically kind of, you know, be in a position of power with this tribe that was clearly a powerhouse. And, you know, it was mostly Burton, and, you know, we'll get there. But, you know, Rupert was a force. He, he Rupert's not bad in those challenges, especially in water challenges. You know, he was surprisingly good in the water. And, you know, he worked a lot. He caught fish. And, you know, he had a great story. And, and it all just fit in this season. And the problem is, is that Rupert has come back two, uh, th- two other times, uh, at least by the time of this podcast. I mean, who knows when you're listening to this? Has Rupert come back nine times by now? I don't yeah. know. But he's come back a bit. And, I mean, I feel like Rupert Rupert is subpar he's not a very good strategist and you know he catches fish but other people can catch fish too and so you know he doesn't bring a whole ton of skills to the table just his bombastic personality which was so perfect for Pearl Islands but in other seasons it's not so perfect and so you know then everyone kind of gets this tainted view of Rupert but it's like you cannot take away what he did in Pearl Islands and who who his character was then because I mean it took America by storm no one has ever been as popular as Rupert's been in his height I mean it's incredible yeah, I think what happened later is he, he started playing a character. He realized who he was, what he's supposed to do for the cameras, and he starts playing a character. But yeah, in Pearl Islands, I mean, that's all authentic. That's just Rupert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a funny, real quick story. A friend of mine, I got them to watch... Uh, a friend of mine showed his girlfriend Pearl Islands for the first time. He's like, you got to watch this season. you got to see this guy named Rupert. And she started watching it. She's like, which one's Rupert? And his answer, I love this answer, he's the guy who looks like his name would be Rupert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that, yeah, Rupert. I mean, I'd never seen anyone have that name. And then, you know, now I think Rupert, you think of big tie-dye dude with a beard. I mean, you know. I think of Ron Weasley. <laughs> Rupert. <laughs> Good pull. He's nice. Other one, yeah. See, our, our other Rupert. Although, as Trish tries to vote him out, he's Rupert. Rupert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Which I you think know, was an 80, 80s video game at some point. <laughs> But I want to point out here as we go on, Paul has said it earlier, and Paul is 100% correct, probably because he's quoting me. But, you know, there is not a, there's not a super slow part to the season, but we're getting into episodes seven and eight. What the part one and what the part two? Holy <laughs> shit! Okay, no, well, yeah, we, before we get to that, I got to, Paul mentioned this earlier, but this is the great Sean quote at the end of episode six. Game over. It's my game now. <laughs> Which has no bearing on anything that involved in the season whatsoever. It just it shows up randomly. Like what the fuck? It just had to be the editors laughing their heads off. They got oh, we gotta put that in. <laughs> it's my game now. And with that, that's the end of Trish, and we are going into the merge. Five, or we're going into the seventh episode, tied five to five, and we are about to hit some Survivor history. This is beautiful. I, who wants to start? Holy shit. Well, well I got to say, first off, this is a very widely debated. In fact, I wouldn't even say debated. I'd say widely hated part of Survivor history because this is routinely called the worst twist in Survivor history. You know, the biggest outrage in Survivor history. 
I've kind of gone to these fan events where I hang out around the super fans. That's what they're named, where they kind of hang out and they just talk about Survivor and they get autographs from Survivors and stuff. And all they, they stand around and they talk about Survivor history. And someone will say, hey, what's the worst twist in Survivor history? Like 100% of the time, the outcast twist will come up. So this is not a very well-loved episode. So we kind of have our work cut out for us because I think all three of us are fans of the outcast twist. And most people are not. So we're kind of in the minority here. We're fighting an uphill battle. I mean, you can get some people, like, riled up when you talk about this twist, but, um, you know, my opinion on it has always been that it wasn't something that I think they rushed together and something that didn't fit in with anything and something that was just tacky. I think it's actually really well done, and I think it speaks volumes that they played out in the season and then they didn't, it wasn't, you know, a gimmicky twist that they repeated again and again and again. So it makes the twist even that much more like special and fitting to the season. The fact that, you know, it really works with this pirate theme and, you know, people you said adrift coming back to haunt you. And, um, it's a very, it's a very well thought out, well planned out, um, twist that's implemented. It's not as reckless as I think the rep, as its reputation has, you know, had gotten that it just was, oh, they just threw this together to, to try to add some extra drama. I think it was actually really well done. I agree. Uh, I think Paul hit a very, very important point. It fit with the season. It, it fit with the pirate theme. It was, it, you know, and, and I think that it was, it was a good way for them to introduce this twist. And I think what makes it work, I think, uh, let's, let's talk about another gimmick that's in a, a later season, Redemption Island. I think Redemption Island is a weird one because, you know, everyone then becomes aware of it. And then it's, and then it's something that is just ever present in the game and it could affect some people. It could not affect others. And then, you know, they, you know, they, they don't necessarily know when they're bringing the person back, but it's just kind of this like, looming presence throughout and then you know you kind of psych yourself out about it but then you can kind of plan around it and you can see that they totally planned around it uh in later seasons and stuff like that the outcast twist was quick it was immediate no one had any time to plan or think about anything and i think that it was really well thought out and extremely unfair but deliciously unfair at that and and that everyone had to absorb it at once it was quick it was it was almost like ripping off a band-aid it was not something that you know people can think about mull over and then strategize it was literally like here's a twist and fuck you and you know then they had to kind of deal with it at the time and i think that that you know made it just wonderfully great yeah that's the thing it's that it seems to be the people's complaint with the outcast that it was unfair let nobody but you know that's just the way it goes sometimes like to my my argument against that is whether it's fair or not did it make the season better and i don't think anybody could argue that pearl islands the second half is amazing and it's generally because of the outcast twist so I think the unfairness card is not really something that weighs heavily on my mind. Because, like, yeah, but small price to pay for such a kick-ass second half of the season. It was unfair, but it was unfair to everybody equally. Yeah, absolutely. Especially Andrew Savage. <laughs> right. And, you know, what's funny is that, you know, Fairplay did say in the, in the, in the, in the interview, you know, that you know, the, the outcast returned and Fairplay's like, this is beautiful. Like, Fairplay was like, this is so, so beautiful and unfair. I mean, he he also saw it was great. And he said, apparently, you know, they get a minute to strategize before the challenge or whatever. And uh-huh. apparently, like, Rupert's like, this is bullshit. You know, we're going to we're gonna beat these outcasts. And Fairplay's like, no, we're not. No way we're <laughs> going to beat them. But anyway, yes, let's get to it. All right, so we open episode seven, and this is at, uh, I believe, in All-Stars. This was voted the greatest fight in Survivor history, where... Rupert 
Almost kills John. <laughs> Who voted for Murray? Who the hell voted for me? John! Who the hell voted for me? John? Yeah. Yes. Who the hell voted for me? <laughs> what the f- was that? It's funny when you watch it because, like, Rupert's legitimately scary angry. Like, to the point, I think he almost did hurt John. Yeah, I mean, he literally is like, I was going to kill him. I was going to ring I was going to pop his head off like a chicken. <laughs> like pop like, damn chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Fairplay's Johnny pain in the ass. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because, like, my wife was listening to this argument, you know, and what's funny is that, you know, and again, John Fairplay talks his way out of this, you know, which is just fantastic. I mean, John was just like, you know, you said that uh, I was voting for Drake. You said that you could go over with the Morgans. <laughs> and Rupert's like, I never said that. And John's like, well, I was under the impression you did. Yeah, it's, I know. Because, it's because Trish lied to you, didn't she? Yeah. 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 It that is. Was it. Yeah. Trish, that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John. Either John has an amazing way of talking himself out of trouble, or Rupert just so believes into Drake that he can't fathom that someone would turn on him. It's one of the two. But yeah, by the end of this conversation, it's all been blamed on Trish, and John is back in the fold. He's not one of them again. Oh, was that really voted as the worst fight in Survivor history? Oh, in All Stars, yeah, I the best. Oh. Yeah, it was at a, yeah, and in the in the tribal council at the end of the or at the reunion show, they had a fan poll for the yeah, greatest second fight. reunion show, something like that, whatever. The, the, but, the, the America's challenge, uh, yeah. America's vote one, yeah. Well, because in you know that's the way that all votes work. Whatever the most recent thing was yeah. will win the greatest thing ever. Gotta love recency bias. Gosh, that wasn't even that great of a fight, but it was just fun to watch uh, John get out of it, and you know Rupert just we're all, we're okay now, we're all fine. <laughs> Johnny pain in the ass. Oh, that's good. And then uh, we see Morgan run out of food. Yeah, Morgan. Stop picking on Morgan, Jay. They're out of food. They're out of rice. You're a Morgan hater. You know, uh, and those, uh, you know, that bag, that half-filled bag of Balboas. How's that tasting now, Morgans? <laughs> oh, oh. First. You guys are ganging up on me, you bullies. Look, I. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna about to put the nail into we're gonna put the nail into into Savage's coffin soon, but uh, it, it's not looking good here. But uh, you know they're out of food, and you know it sucks. But I do like again this is you know for, just very recent foreshadowing because obviously the Outcast twist is coming up like right now. But you know you do get that moment. Morgan, of course, not working, not doing anything, not having any energy, not having any food. But then they're like. Uh, yeah, we're out of food, and Andrew's giving confessionals like, God, we have no food. And uh, then, you know, them going like, can you imagine if Skinny Ryan were here? Yeah, he or Lil? Perished. He would have perished. <laughs> can you imagine those other people being here? And then, you know, watching it back later, you're like, teehee. <laughs> Alright, so here we go. This is the... They got C-mail, which I think people forgot that it's C-mail in C-mail. Pearl Islands, not Tree-mail. And it says, the most important reward yet. I think, think, I think it's a damn challenge. Yes. Although I should point out, this is where we finally have our Sandra Winter quote, where she finally gets any attention whatsoever. Paul, I'm sure you know what it is. Wait. Oh, I, no, I stumped. I'm blanking. Stump. You, stumped, you stumped me. Wait, hold on. Get him a t-shirt. What does she say? <laughs> she says, let them, it's t- when she's talking about John and Sean fighting over the kucha corn, the popcorn, coconut popcorn. Uh-huh. Sandra says, let them duke it out. Let them vote each other out. As long as it ain't Sandra, I'm happy. Yeah. Yep. There you go. There you go. That's Sandra in a nutshell, which is, I have gone on record as saying this is the greatest strategy in Survivor history because it's the only strategy you need on Survivor. So many people overcomplicate this game. 
All you need to do is if it's not you, you're happy. That's really that's the essence of Survivor in one sentence. I suppose it works for Sandra, but you know it's it's extremely difficult to pull off. Well, yeah, just you have no loyalty to anybody. You have no alliance. Alliances mean nothing. Your alliance is you. There is that, and and Sandra is. I think Sandra does some things very well. I I'm not as high on Sandra being like greatest of all time or something like that. I do certainly you know acknowledge Sandra's two for two and stuff like that. And I'm not a Sandra hater by any stretch of the imagination. Sandra is fantastic. But uh, as far as gameplay goes, it's, it's, it's tough to say she's the greatest of all time when her strategy is literally, I'm not going to affect anything. But what she's good at is surviving survivor. And uh, you can see exactly how she does it. Jay is more gameplay than Sandra. No, I'm not. I've never been on the show. So anyway, um, yeah, but uh, yeah, as long as it ain't me. But again, this is a this is a Sean and John work scene, and you see John cutting the coconut and trying to do work, and Sean going, I don't want to do work, and John's just like, fuck you, dude. That's right. Like I said, the random uh, reemergence of the Kuchikorn. They don't mention it, and they don't call it Kuchikorn, but that's what it is. It's, it's, well, it's the coconut. The burned coconut, yes. Or was it chicken feed they're eating? Kucha, I guess they're, they're, e- they're eating chicken feed, the kucha. Yeah, corn, all but, those uh, coconuts in Australia. They do talk about that. In a, it, it's, yeah, it's, all, uh, those, isn't it, all those uh, coconuts in Australia, Mario. <laughs> Shut up. Isn't it? No, isn't it? Isn't it Rotu that does the uh, the, the popcorn? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah that's Kathy's. Or jo- it was Johnny Pots and Pans invention. Yes. <laughs> all right, fine. Okay, no, no. so now we are up to the outcasts. The so, much lamented and much loved by some of us outcasts, where. The, this is where the phrase "die jerks" finally <laughs> was introduced into American lexicon. Die jerks, yeah. Well, the famous, the famous put down, die jerks. Die jerks. The scene is so epic. I mean, even you go back and watch it, it's like, oh, it's great. I, I mean, when it happened when it aired, I remember it just was like, oh my god, and just it's so surreal that people that have voted off, they're not on the jury. You haven't thought about Nicole for, I mean, forever. You've never, you know, Michelle's by this point already a long lost memory, and here they are again. And it, of course, Probes plays it absolutely perfectly. That one Great, line, was, yeah. He goes, "Morgan Drake, your past has come back to haunt you." Come on in, guys. Here comes and, the die jerks. Yeah. Oh, you know it's great because he's talking about it. And, you know, he says, "Hey, you know, you're at five. You're at five. You know, you voted out three members. You voted out three members. And you know, uh, the only thing that's in common with those with those members is they're not here. They're voted out. Until now, your past yeah. has come back to haunt you. Come on in, guys. And they just come on in. And you know." It's badass. I mean, I defy you to look at that scene and not just get moved in some way. I mean, it is really good. Yeah, see, it's funny. One thing I remember about this point in, in Survivor is that someone had tipped me off that the outcasts were coming like the week before. Someone said, oh, yeah, a bunch of people get voted back into the game. <clears throat> and if you if you go in my archives and read my column for that week, I kind of end episode six with saying, I've heard what the twist is next week, and if it's correct, it's like the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. It's like, I forget what I wrote, but it's like, I have no interest in where this season is going because I've, if this twist comes through. And what happens is you watch the outcast, the actual execution of the outcasts, and it's amazing. It's one of the best episodes in Survivor history, in my opinion, just this two-part episode. Everything is so well done. It's just well executed. The music, just kind of the drama, the way Probes plays it, it's just re- so well done that I couldn't possibly hate it. I just... It's just there was a lot of love put into these two episodes in particular. 
and it was a gamble. It's a big gamble on Survivor's part to do this because they do they do give them an out. And what's funny is that Fairplay correctly points it out. There's just no way that the outcasts are completely losing this challenge. Like there's just no way. But what if it did happen? What if they, you know, bring the outcasts yeah. in, they yell some jerks, they'll die jerks, and oh, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then Drake and Morgan win this challenge, and then the outcasts go away. It's like, oh, well, then it's a dud, right? Yeah. But it's well, a gamble. But, you know, it, to me, that's a brilliant, it's a brilliant gamble to take, and it paid off splendidly. Yeah, so many people ask me, well, you know, probes and in interviews have said, oh, the, the outcasts were all on the same rations, they lived in the same conditions. They're like, do you think that's true? I'm like, fuck no, that's not true. There's no way they lived on the same rations because if you're a producer, you want the outcast to win. This twist makes no sense unless the outcast win. What the what what the outcast of? Uh, I think fair play again. I, again, I keep going back to fair play and, and uh, listen to the to the thing with Dom Collins. Good interview all the way around. But uh, fair play says that they were in the the Ponderosa place, um, and he says that they were given a bowl of rice a day and I think like an apple, mm-hmm. and and that was it. And Burton was catching fish and, you know, sharing the fish with the tribe. But I mean, so that, you know, when Jeff says they were on meager rations, he's right. They were on meager rations. But the thing is, is that they were just, you know, they were living there and they were told that eventually there was going to be a challenge. And that's really all they were told. But they're not living, you know, under conditions where they're trying to build this social network and, you know, have to talk about voting out. They get to live those 12 days literally just hanging out talking to each other, just being friendly, and, you know, Burton's catching fish. It was more, it's a way more relaxed environment, and, you know, the mental strain is not there. And, I, and I'm sure Lil was just, you know, so much fun to be around. <laughs> she was just like the there. life of the party. <laughs> oh, if you have never, if you guys have never heard this, we're about to drop a pearl on you. We'll get to that in a second. A uh, pearl yeah, it's, it's, island. But, yeah, it's funny, like, yeah, there's no way the outcasts were, like, living in the out in the rain, trying to chop wood and live in a shelter out in the beach. So it's like, we're going to get this. We're going to do a user, uh, a reader feedback podcast after Pearl Islands, and I can guarantee we'll get at least 10 questions where people will ask, do you think the outcasts really were on limited rations? And I, I, know, I don't know anything, like I said, Jay, Jay knows from what he's heard from Fair Play, but like, there is no way that they would have been starved just like the players, because again, you don't want the outcast to lose. Otherwise, this is a completely pointless episode and a twist. It's that. I think they were living in better conditions, and again, you cannot ever factor out just the, the, the relief of mental stress that the, that the outcasts did not have for those days. It was literally just like, yeah, live here, here's a little bit of food, but there's going to be a challenge eventually, and they're just kind of like, alright, cool, we're here. Instead of like playing this game where you have to think and you know be paranoid the entire time. That does take a toll. Let's listen to Lil tell another story about Boy Scouts. Oh boy. <laughs> so so anyway, the outcasts come in, and then of course you get the I love it when you know Jeff Jeff uh, uh prompts Michelle, and Michelle, of course, takes the bait very well. This is not a margaritas or you know, butch with the bed kind of deal. Like, you know, he says, I'm sure these guys, uh, do you have a name? And you know, Burton's like, We're the outcasts, you know, it's appropriate or whatever. And then Jeff's like, I'm sure they have one thing on their mind. What's that, Michelle? And I love that, like, Michelle, like, kind of, like, shifts her weight from, like, foot to foot. She almost is, like, doing, like, a Superman pose there. Yeah. You know, she's got, like, got her hands on her hips. She's like, revenge, baby. <laughs> My wife hates that scene because she's like, it's so staged. Listen to the way she says it. It's not natural at all. Just uh, my wife, that's one thing that always jumps out my wife when she sees that episode. She's like, that she said so staged. It's like they totally set her up for that. Well, of course, Jeff set her up for it. And I think that it actually is a, a natural response, but Michelle's just kind of awkward in her delivery anyway. Well, the, <laughs> but, uh, the first take, they tried to do it with Lil, but she just went, 
<laughs> Don't oh, say that about God. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So, <laughs> oh, no. uh, so of course, yeah, the, the challenge happens. Well, then, the but, but, but of course, Jeff explains the whole outcast. For those of you who are living under a rock who have not seen this, uh, basically, they're going to run this challenge. And if the outcasts beat either Drake or Morgan, that tribe that they beat has to go to tribal council, vote somebody out, and then the outcasts will go to tribal council and vote somebody into that tribe. So if the outcasts beat both Drake and Morgan, both of those tribes have to vote somebody out, and the outcasts get to vote two people in. And so, you know, there's a chance that maybe one of the tribes beats the outcast, and the tri- both tribes could just beat the outcast, and the outcasts just go away. But as Mario's alluded to, and as everyone said, and even Fairplay recognized at the time, there's no way we're beating the outcast. This is so totally stacked in the outcast's favor. And so they got to do this challenge where they start, and they run, and then they need, basically it's the free yourself from a prison challenge. Go! And the outcasts win by a lot. <laughs> and I should point out, Burton still has yet to lose a challenge. And yeah, Burton does most of the work in this challenge. It's fantastic. Well, yeah, that's the thing. If you throw a challenge to vote out the greatest challenge god in Survivor history, and he comes back and he's pissed, he's probably going to do pretty well against you. And then, of course, we have the big celebration at the end, which I think Jeff later said was the biggest celebration he's ever seen in Survivor. All the outcasts hopping on each other and, and Lil dry-humping Skinny Ryan over in the corner. Well, no, Skinny Ryan, like, grabs Nicole and, like, he's oh. going for it there. Who's Lil going after? She's dry-humping someone's leg. Probably Burton. Probably know. Burton. Burton. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, he, that young man is a Boy Scout. He's an Eagle Scout. <laughs> You know, uh, you know. I think about it, those girls didn't even have to compete in that Outcast challenge. Jeff Probst is pretty horny. They could have just showed him their boobs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but the Outcasts win. They have a big. It's it's really good, you know. And then Jeff's going to the other tribe, you know, and he's just like, it's over. And you know, they're just celebrating like heck. I, it's a great moment. It's it's just fantastic television. I mean, everyone's like, oh, the twist is so bullshit. It's unfair. It's like watch the episode. The episode's great. Yeah. And then there's a really underrated scene there where Burton gets to talk for a little bit, where they ask him what this is like, and he says, uh, I kind of wrote it down here, is we face the lows of the lows. They haven't been there yet. It hasn't been a walk in the park. You think you're down? You don't know down yet until you've been voted out of a tribe. So, like, Burton has some really good speeches as the season goes along. This is kind of the first one. It's a really poignant moment. Like, it makes you kind of realize at home, you know, you have a lot, bunch of armchair survivor fans thinking we know how the game works, how strategy works, like, Think of the logistics of being shunned socially by your peer group on national TV. Like, that has got to suck. That's the thing, and Burton kind of raises that question. Like, they haven't felt that rejection yet. We have. We know what that's like. That hurts. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a really kind of underrated moment, I think. So then, and of course, the, the next part of this wrinkle now is that the outcasts have won the challenge. So both Drake and Morgan are going to have to go to tribal council and vote somebody out. And the outcasts are going to vote two people back in the game. And they're going to go to eat, one person's going to go to each tribe. And on top of that, the two outcasts that are voted back in the game have immunity for the next round, which Savage totally remembers. <laughs> yes. Yes. He's... Yeah, when that outcast comes, we vote them out immediately. They have no business being here. Skinny Ryan and Lil, they were voted out for a reason. And they're like, and Sa- was it Rhino? Was like, it was Rhino. Yeah, oh yeah, they have immunity. And Savage is like, what? <laughs> what you talking about, Rhino? He, he, I like, I like Ryan. I like Savage's like, you know, I can't believe it thing because he just like goes, "You're kidding." <laughs> it's like when it's like when Lil's like, and I lost the hook. Really? <laughs> like, you know, it's like they have immunity though. You're kidding. 
Oh my god. <laughs> yes. So yeah, this is where Savage kind of lays down the law. Whoever comes back in here, we're not going to accept them. They're gone as soon as possible because they're stinking outcasts and they are not a part of this family. And I, again, this is your argument. A lot of people's argument why Savage did not was not really screwed at all. He kind of earned his own fate, but this is where he lays it down. He doesn't actually tell them that when they get back. This is kind of a misconception. A lot of people think, oh, Savage pulled Lil aside later and said, you're not welcome here. Yeah, he never actually does say that. What he does, he says it behind her back before she gets there. Yeah, it's 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 Savage unwilling to bend. I mean, and it's tough because Savage from the beginning has, I mean, he's clearly got an alliance of four. It's him, Austin, uh, Tawana, and um, Rhino. So, and, and Derek gets kind of brought into the fold just because he's the fifth uh, Morgan left. And then when Austin quits here or doesn't, you know, when Austin leaves, Derek kind of takes that spot as the fourth. But like Savage is very fiercely Morgan. And, you know, that's why, you know, in, in the unaired mutiny, he's just like, all of you get the fuck out of here. And then, you know, he's like, this outcast comeback is not welcome. And it's like, God, you got to think you, you need numbers at this point, you know, yeah. and that's really, really tough. And it, 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 it's hard because I can, I can totally understand his, his thinking behind it. It's not. It's not like he's coming from some left field place, but it's like it's 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 the incorrect thinking. Yeah, it's like we've come so far as a family to get to this point. He just isn't willing to bend at that point. He's like, I would rather be voted out than to play the game with an outcast at this point. And then it's like, okay. okay. So anyway, but then they talk about who's going to go, and it's all tough. And then of course Austin's like, I'm done. Yeah, my temple has nothing left to offer. My temple has nothing left to offer, <laughs> and and I and we're gonna we're gonna eulogize Austin. I know that you're gonna you're gonna defend him because he really was. I mean, his his body really did quit. Yeah, yeah. He a lot of people don't know this that he legitimately had like staph infections and he stuff. Had like, and, didn't have like six or something godly know. number. He was yeah. He was legitimately sick. And again, it's his, really his own fault because he sold his clothes. <laughs> his clothes. <laughs> All right, so yeah, you got. I got to play that card now. Okay, it's kind of his own fault, but he was legitimately sick. It's not just a big tough guy pussing out because it's because it's hard out here. He was legitimately sick. Either you don't sell your clothes, or you wear a burlap sap to keep you warm. <laughs> it's one of the two. Yes. So yeah, so Austin volunteers to quit. He's like, "Vote me out, guys," and he's like, "My temple's done. I can't give my hundred and ten percent anymore." Which is funny because he apparently he was giving a hundred and ten percent before. We just didn't notice that. Well, he was. I mean, I can understand that. I can understand it. That you know, Austin. I think you know would have been fantastic. But you know, as you said, he sold his clothes. He was uncomfortable. He's clearly out of his element, which sucks. But then you know, he. I think he got sick pretty immediately just because yeah. he was just out in the elements and cold. I mean, I think he deteriorated very, very quickly. And I think it's tough because, you know, he seems to me like a, you know, a pretty, a pretty dynamic person. And I, I think he just was like, my God, I am 30% of what I am. And he just couldn't fight through it. And I don't really fault him for that. And I mean, he came out of the game and he was super sick, but it's like, God, you know, he, w- he was the albatross that held that tribe down for a long time. And it sucks that he was their biggest, strongest guy. And, 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 you know, you don't want to vote him off. And he was part of Savage's alliance and Savage was pulling the strings, but it's like, man, probably would have been good if he had voted him out. Yeah, but again, think of who the alternatives were. I know, I understand, but there yeah. are there are. Uh, in, I mean, it, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, we weren't out there. We don't know. I I understand all of these points ourselves, but you know, usually if someone's an albatross, you got to cut them loose, and usually the tribe you know will rally from that. 
Um, you know, and they won, I mean, they won, uh, they won a challenge that was thrown. So you didn't need him for that one. Then they had a gross food eating challenge. That's not strength and agility. That's just eating gross food. So. Yeah. That's the right here for people who are listening. This is the fundamental difference between how I view Savage and how Jay views Savage. It's just, it really kind of comes down to the Austin question was keeping Austin a good move. And so it really comes comes down to your point of view. I think it was because I think Savage went to heroic lengths to keep this guy in the game and bring them to the point that they could actually believe in themselves and actually make it to 5-5. Jay thinks, well, maybe they would have been better if they just cut him loose and, and you know, cut their losses early. So it's it's really what it comes down to your opinion on if Austin, if keeping Austin was a good idea or not. But I think at the end of the day, it's all null and void because I think the outcast twist just completely changed this game on its ear. It did. For 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 better or worse, but Austin's like I'm I'm done. I'm gonna go home, and uh, you know what's funny is that there's the juxtaposition here because we go to Morgan and Austin's like I'm done. I'm going home, and he's getting hugs from everyone, and everyone's like Yeah, you know, I wouldn't quit, but I understand that he needs to quit, and I love Austin, and you know you can see the genuine family that's there, and that uh-huh. I can't talk about. And then you get over to Drake. Oh, Drake. <laughs> all right john and sean beg for your lives oh my god what the fuck rupert dick moment yeah sandra's like forget. wouldn't that be funny <laughs> and then rupert's like i'm gonna do it yeah people kind of forget in the uh rupert america's loves america's sweetheart thing that rupert makes two condemned criminals basically dance for his pleasure right before he kills them he has a confessional i think after this where he's talking about how he always views himself as that fat kid that gets picked on in school and made fun of and you know he always talks about how he never fits in and he's you know uh, you know an outcast among everything and then he literally is giggling and making two people beg for their lives it's like holy shit rupert you can't get more bully than that yeah i know (laughs) and yet we loved it at the time we were like yeah you you do that rupert yeah, make John cry. I'm trying to think. What else happened in that scene? Uh, Nothing. Oh, this is... Or go ahead. This is where Sandra says she's scared of Burton. She's like, because <laughs> like, he's so full of anger and energy, and he's so strong. <laughs> and she flat out says, she's like, they're going to vote back Burton and Lil. She flat out tells you what's going to happen. I think that's what Sandra's biggest strength is in a lot of things. Sandra is remarkably perceptive. Um, and a lot of times I feel like it goes to waste. I mean, it's tough because Sandra has played exactly twice and has won the game exactly twice. So it's it's hard for me to sit here and say, well, Sandra made a bad move here. Or Sandra made a bad move there. I mean, Sandra does do some bad moves, but ultimately they're not super costly. Yeah. But like Sandra is very good at sussing out people. She's super good at it. And I think that, you know, this is an example of Sandra just being very perceptive and saying, yeah, that Burton and Lil are coming back. Like she very good. Well done. Well done on her to pick that up. That is really good. And how does she know Lil's coming back? She's barely even met Lil. Because she knows that Nicole and Michelle, oh, wait, we don't, we're not going to get there. All right. Although there's a great quote right here from John about the outcasts. They're used to that. Their entire lives have been losers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. Uh, but yeah, it's the juxtaposition. Morgan's, you know, Austin's volunteering to go. It seems really nice. And they're being all family about it. And you're like, oh, that's so nice. And you get Drake where they're making Sean and John like beg for their lives. Yeah. But uh, at Tribal Council, they get received in two entirely different ways from Jeff Probst. <laughs> Well, there's a great moment. This is what my wife, we were watching this the other day. My wife was laughing at this where, where uh, Sandra tells Probes, she's like, I'm worried that Burton's going to come back. And Probes is like, Burton? She's like, Burton. Burton. 
Yeah. Burton. <laughs> I forget this is now or later where she goes, if Burton comes back, I will fall out. I think it's a little later, but yeah, that's good. So yeah, so basically it's flip a coin between John and Sean, and they uh, they vote out Sean, and which a part of that, of course, is Johnny Fairplay's famous vote for Sean, where he just says "fuck you" and holds it up. Which I, now it's you know John is great because he's got this pro wrestling thing where every time he votes somebody off, he's got a little pro wrestling catchphrase. Is "fuck you" an actual wrestling catchphrase, or is that the one time he just didn't care anymore? He just said "fuck you." It is. It's a it very a- it's it's obscure one. Shane Douglas as uh, a wrestler in ECW, and he did say "fuck you" uh, for things because ECW was a little more uh, uh, you know uncensored. But yeah. I don't know if Shane Douglas was doing "fuck you" at the time. I don't know that. So maybe that's an after the fact thing, or maybe that's just you know purely coincidental. I I don't know if he was literally doing pro wrestling on that, or if he was literally just saying "fuck you" to Sean. <laughs> yeah. Although, uh, yeah, so a lot of people wonder why did Sean get voted out over John when they were all angry at John. Now, I've heard lots of different stories about this. I've heard that John was always part of their alliance, like they were still sticking together. I've heard that they were very worried that Burton was going to come back and Sean was going to team up with him. So I'm not entirely sure why they kept Sean or John over Sean, because you look at it on paper, John should have been way more dangerous because he was way more scheming, even though, you know, the game was Sean's now. The game is his and everything. But it's, a, it's one of those questions a lot of people ask. Like, why why Sean over John? And it, you kind of hear different stories no matter who you ask. I would think it would be because, you know, they're, they're thinking that a merge is coming soon. Yeah. And Sean is clearly on the outs with Drake. And, you know, Sean is a prime candidate to flip. Yeah. He's also the biggest puss Krista's ever met. <laughs> like... Paul, got something to say about Sean? No. <laughs> All right. No, I, uh, well I've said my uh, piece about Sean, and, um, you know, he uh, didn't get a clue, so he went home. Well, Paul, let me then throw this hypothetical out to you. What if Sean were Gene? <laughs> I don't think you should s- – I asked you not to bring up that name ever again. <laughs> Damn it, I'm in trouble. Uh, so Sean's gone. So so Drake goes to the tribal council. It is between John and Sean. <laughs> and Sean gets voted out, and he leaves. Hooray. Then Morgan goes to tribal council. The lovely Morgan tribe, the family. And Jeff's like, what happened? And Andrew Savage is like, well, we got back to camp, and Austin was like, I'm done. I want you to vote me out. And Jeff goes ballistic. Yeah. You get the sense that you didn't actually see everything that went on during that tribal council where Jeff <laughs> flat out says, all right, here's the deal. We're not going to give you any final words. You don't get your torch. We're not going to invite you to the reunion. You motherfucking chicken shit piece of ass. Get out of here. That's the part that was cut out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so Jeff is just kind of a dick. Where dick, dick moment all over. Maybe the greatest Jeff Probst dick moment of all time where – he refuses to even snuff Austin's torch. He just lays it down. He doesn't get any final words. He's like, go home. Like, it's just, I don't know. He just, it's just something Austin did really pissed off Jeff Probes. I don't know if he was a preseason favorite, if he built himself up as a different character that they never saw in the episode, but it seemed very personal, the whole treatment of Austin, and I never liked it. I can't buy the I can't buy the argument of he, he, was, he was a different person and he didn't bring it to the game, because he didn't do that with Stephanie Dill's torch. <laughs> that's the thing it's just like it's like a double standard it's like because austin was a big strong alpha male jeff was so pissed that this guy would dare quit because you know other people have kind of 
quote unquote quit or asked to be voted out in the past, and they never got anything near the treatment that Austin did. Yeah, I and never they, thought about that before. That's a good point. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like he was the first quitter, but you know, quitting is a very open ended term because I know other people have probably asked to be voted out in the past. So it's one of those. What did Austin do that was so goddamn bad that just pissed Jeff off that much? It's tough because Jeff basically kind of bullied him into saying, yeah, I'm quitting. I mean, uh-huh. you know, that was the thing is that if Jeff comes and just asks innocuous questions, you know, and they're basically like, well, someone kind of needs to leave and kind of wants to leave. And they just have regular tribal council. They all vote Austin out. He goes home. It's just a vote out. Right. And that it, it raises a really weird precedent because, you know, we've had way more seasons of Survivor since Pearl Islands. And, you know, people have done this and, you know, people have flat out quit the game, literally just said, I am done. I would like to quit, which I mean, Austin did say, I'm out. I'm done. I, I have no more to give. But I mean, they were just going to go to tribal council and vote him out. I mean, they were literally just going to do it the legit way. It wasn't like they were like, stop, hold everything. I'm quitting. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the problem is, is that I think Austin goes down as like the biggest quitter of all time. And, he, and he's not. I mean, he was kind of up to that point. Like, Jeff even goes through the each. He says, like, are you going to give Austin his wishes? Yes, 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 yes. And then he goes. Yeah, like, they kind of impromptu, promptly voted him there, you know? Yeah. I, you know, and everyone today, you know, when, when people go, they're like, you know, uh, uh, just recently in Survivor history, you know, Brandon and, and uh, uh, Kara Moen, you know, they had the impromptu tribal council, and, like, they all voted him out, and everyone's like, is that a vote out or is that a quit? It's like... It, d- does it matter at this point? You know, he's leaving. Like, that's, you know, it, it's always just a tough thing. And I feel like Austin's been poorly ostracized, you know, for what he did. And it wasn't that bad. I, it, again, I guess in these earlier seasons, like, you know, Jerry, the biggest villain we've ever seen, she wasn't that bad. Austin quit. It wasn't that bad. I never thought yeah, I'd come again, into this podcast and defend Austin at all, but I, I surprise myself sometimes on these podcasts. Paul, I find you incredible. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. Austin will go down in history as the first quitter in Survivor history. Yes. And again, it's not really fair. I mean, other people have quit since. People have quit for way less than yeah. what he went through. So it's just one of those that's It's a shame that you know he was just absolutely shit on. And again, he didn't get final words. They wouldn't even give him anything. No. And I, I, I've heard a rumor he... He uh, wasn't even going to be involved at like the reunion or anything, and they kind of changed their mind at the last minute. In fact, if you watch a little torch walk at the end when they talk about all the fallen comrades or whatever, Austin's segment is just kind of thrown in there right at the end. Like the producers realized, oh, we better give this guy something too. Like they really wanted no part. They wanted nobody to even remember that this guy was a part of the Survivor. They really went out of their way to 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 really kind of sh- uh, embarrass him, which I thought sucked. Yeah, they were trying to make an example out of him. Like, if you're going to go on the show, don't do this. Don't quit. But it's tough because, you know, things came out afterwards that Austin had six staph infections and was just (laughs) fucking done. And, yes, it was to his own detriment. And, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and and, and say, you know, hooray, Austin, you know, what what a brave warrior soul. He did it to himself. He sold his clothes. And then, you know, he was just an albatross to the tribe and, you know, really, really, really hurt the Morgans all the way through. And, and, and that sucks. But, I mean, you know, he was done. They voted him out, but he gets kind of treated as this quitter, which yeah. I think is unfair. And, again, I will say in deference to the show, then, in all fairness, once Austin's out, the season gets way better because we don't have to put up with is, is Austin going to quit or not quit subplot, which has been going on forever. Exactly. So, Austin, you know, you got treated unfairly, but good riddance because the season is about to get a lot better. <laughs> 
And I have to tell you, seeing this live, you know, we we get, you know, the 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 final part of episode seven is the double tribal council, Drake's tribal council, and then Austin's quit at the Morgan tribal council. And then the end of the episode, literally, it says, like, stay tuned to next week, the outcast tribal council. You're like, holy shit, cliffhanger. Was that the first two part episode in Survivor history? I'm trying to think here. It must have been. I think it was. It has to be. Yeah, yeah, there's no other reason to have a cliffhanger because every every other episode ends with a tribal council or with Mike being evacuated. That was holy shit TV, and you were—I mean, obviously, I was like, I can't wait till next week of Survivor. Every week Survivor came out, but I mean, you really couldn't wait. You were like, oh my god. Well, yeah, no one had ever seen an outcast tribal council. We have no idea what the criteria is for voting people back in. And of course, we go to the next episode, and here we go. It starts off right with the outcast tribal council again. Some really interesting stuff going on in this Which one. Which was bizarre watching an episode that starts out with, I mean, I mean, it's part two, you know, I mean, it's, so technically it's part of the other episode, but I mean, to to sit down at, uh, you know, seven, eight o'clock, wherever you are on Thursday night and start off with the Tribal Council, it, it felt weird. It was great. They come in and I love it. It's just Jeff Probst's cool moment where Jeff Probst says, like, I've never seen people so happy to come to Tribal Council. Like, it's a really fun moment. And of course, what do we get? The speeches here, where why they're they're arguing why they should go back, and and Lil says, "I want those, I want revenge. I want those sons of bitches. I want to make them pay." And Burton has a great speech where he says, uh, "Vote me back in, and I will work with you until the end. I will never lie to an outcast because we've been through this together. We're a family. So vote me in, and you will always have an ally, no matter who else goes in." Which which is a great speech. Burton's fantastic. Yeah, and then Michelle has the one. What was the one? Uh, the best way to get revenge is vote the cute little, the pretty little cute girl back in there to kick their asses or something like that. That's a funny one too. She tried, but anyway, Jeff then explains they get their speeches, and you know it's tough because you can tell Skinny Ryan just loves this game and wants to get back in. But uh, he's he's about to he's about to get uh, hurt in a really really interesting way, which is fun. But uh, Jeff explains it. He's basically each one of you is going to go up to the podium. You're going to vote for someone, not yourself that you want back in the game, you're going to vote twice. You're going to vote two separate people on two separate parchments. So there's going to be a lot of votes. And which is funny because Christy votes for Jenna and Heidi because she hates them so much. God, Christy, can't get this right. <laughs> what? They outwitted, outplayed, and outlasted me, Mario. <laughs> Shut up. God, they were just drooling over him like that. <laughs> okay. So... Burton gets voted back just because Burton's awesome and because he's the this young man's an Eagle Scout and he will vote, he will play with us till, till the end. And then the other one that gets voted back in is Lil. <laughs> and there's a wonderful story about how, why Lil got voted in. She got voted you, in because Jeff Probst behind the scenes really encouraged the contestants to vote for Miss Congeniality to go back in the game. And so the contestants yeah. all really voted for who they liked the most, not necessarily who they wanted to go back into the game. And so that's why Lil went in, because she's the honorary Miss Congeniality of Survivor 7. I think this is one of the more well-known ones, but Mario, please let the audience know, why was Lil voted back into this game? <laughs> This is great. This is going to blow your mind if you've never heard this before. And I'm gonna, I'm, I, I'm gonna set it up real quick with this. Lil gets three votes ultimately, and Skinny Ryan legitimately votes for Lil to get back in the game. Go. Yeah. And again, I didn't know this until I heard the DVD commentary because they talk about this on the commentary. So this is pretty well known if you own the DVD. But <clears throat> the reason Lil allegedly, I have to say allegedly, I don't want to get sued here. Allegedly, the reason Lil got voted back into the game is because the outcasts were so tired of living with her, they wanted her gone. So it's not so much that they voted her 
into the game as they voted her out of the outcasts. Yeah. And, and the way the way Fairplay described it, you know, because Fairplay knows all right. But uh, the way he described it was that, you know, the if people don't know this, you know, when when people pre-merge get voted out of Survivor, they go to Ponderosa, basically, and they hang out until all of the pre-merge people are voted out. Then the Survivor basically takes the pre-merge people and ki- they have to kick them out of Ponderosa because Ponderosa now has to house all of the jury members. So... But they don't want all the pre-merge people going home to the United States because people, you know, monitor this shit. And they're like, oh, well, these people are home now, which means they couldn't possibly have made the jury in Survivor. So all the pre-merge people go on a vacation somewhere while the rest of Survivor, you know, plays out. So and and the survivors know this. So apparently it was Nicole and Michelle. And again, allegedly on all that sort of stuff. But apparently, um, Nicole and Michelle had had enough of Lil and Ponderosa. And they knew that two people were going back in the game. And apparently, everyone was like, Burton is going back in the game. So, you know, Burton was a given. And so, Nicole and Michelle, they did vote for each other, but they did figure that, you know, only one of them, if, if, if one of them made it back in the game, it was really only going to be one. Because there was no way that Nicole and Michelle were both making it back in the game over Burton. So they wanted to be friends. They wanted to hang out on vacation. And they knew then that they were like, well, we're probably not getting back in the game. And then they were like, we don't like Lil. We don't want her on our vacation. So Nicole and Michelle voted Lil out of their vacation. <laughs> it's the per- absolute perfect little twist to Lil's storyline. And it's I, 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 I never really understood why they sent Lil back until I heard that DVD commentary. Like, that makes so much sense. Because, like... This is the opinion of Lil. that Everybody shares the entire season. You'll see this more and more as it goes along, where Sandra would wake up, and she said this in interviews, she would wake up and just start cursing the fact that Lil was there right to her face every morning. Like, why are you still here? Like, they, people would get so tired of living with Mopey McMoperson. And so it absolutely fits. And it's funny, is I know we're going to get a ton of feedback just from this topic alone, because I always just Whenever I bring up this... Lil was voted out of the outcast subject. Immediately, I, there's a bunch of know-it-all fans that will all say, no, 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 that's, I've heard that's true, but that's not the case. There's no way they could have planned that, and here's the evidence why. But I swear to God, listen to the Pearl Islands DVD commentary, and all the all the people that voted her out are like laughing about it. It's like one of the running jokes among the cast. Like, we didn't, we didn't want to go back in the game. We just wanted her out of our party. So Lil gets to go back in the game along with Burton, and then you know everyone else gets to leave. Skinny Ryan gets to hug Lil on the way out. We get everything. Sorry, we get a line in there. I am a nice person. (laughs) And then I love where it's going to become all about Lil all of a sudden. So then, like they're standing there, and I love that like Burton and Lil are like standing up and holding hands. Like it's really awkward looking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's going to be kissing him on the mouth pretty soon. Stop that, Lil. It looks like a really bad, like, amazing race team. Yeah, Eagle Scout and Grandma. God, which one on that team is driving and which one is doing the map in the back? I lost the map. (laughs) You're kidding. I don't speak French. (laughs) I'm such a bitch. I don't know how to drive a ship. I'm such a bitch. I don't think this cab driver knows where he's going. <laughs> uh, so anyway, <laughs> so 
So then they all leave, and then Lil and Burton are holding hands, and then Jeff's like, "Well, you're gonna go back." <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still picturing him holding hands at tribal council. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I forgot they were. Hold- I'm like crying here, you guys. I forgot they were holding hands. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm shut up now. If you could see unaired footage of Pearl Islands, what I would love is a shot of the outcast, the rest of them going back to Ponderosa and partying their asses off because the chaperone's gone. <laughs> Uh, so so then Jeff's like which tribe are you going to go back to and then Lil up to like I'll pick and she picks Morgan oh god oh god <laughs> Which yeah. not, it's, I mean the whole thing is just like a charade too because I mean it's not going to mean anything in the end but they have to send them back to one of the two tribes yes but yeah. it's, it is it is fun to see both the tribes reaction and you know Burton and Lil because you know again I'm not gonna I'm not really gonna pour on Savage much more but like you know Morgan gives a more a, a colder welcome but you know consider the source I'm sure if Burton walked up they'd be cold to Burton but you know Burton is is a little easier to take than Lil so <laughs> you know I will give some credit there but uh, I do love the the camera here the the, dark, the the camera but you get like the the lightning storm and stuff like that and then you get some setup shots and this is of course your quote Mario Sanders with if it's Burton, I'm gonna be asked out. Yeah, I'm gonna fall uh, out. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna fall out, you know. And yeah, I even wrote in my notes here. I, I wrote, I put a bunch of stars next to it. I said, "This is absolutely one of my favorite shots in Survivor history." Just like one little image that they captured on screen. It's the scene of Burton standing on the beach with the ominous music and this lightning flashing around him. It's like the middle of the night, and it's almost That's, like he just appears. Yeah, it's like he's like a like almost the Terminator. You know, he kind of comes down he, in the ball and he kind of stands up. He just kind of materializes. Yeah, it's it's just an awesome scene. It's like I don't see how anybody can hate the Outcast episode with little shots like that. Just little moments like the whole ominous tone of Burton returning and the lightning and the thunder and the darkness. It's it's so cool. Yeah, because you know that you see the the Drakes going to bed and then you see like the the, the cool lightning shots in the in the uh, the infrared or the the night vision camera and stuff like that. And it's like you see beach and lightning and beach and lightning and then all of a sudden you see Burton on the beach and you're like, yeah, he's just there. Where'd you come from? Holy shit! <laughs> it's just great. It's so artsy. I just love that whole thing. And then he comes back and they're all like, oh, Burton, oh, we love you and. Sandra's got this great quote where she's like, hey, you know what? We're glad he's here because he's so strong. <laughs> the sweetest yeah, because you know, he came back says. and you know they were you know, and they offered him just their lentils that were in the in the stew and he ate them and then you know he's like, you know what, guys, you know, it's it's water under the bridge, I'm gonna go and you know, Rupert and Sandra, you know, Rupert's gonna talk with Burton a little bit, but Sandra's like, you know what? That's fine. That's what we wanted to hear. You know, and I mean Rupert played or Burton played it really well. Just hey guys, all right, I'm here, let's just go forward now. You know, and and you know, Burton has the, I think, one of my favorite confessionals all season after this, where he's like, you know, I I do want to move forward with him and I do want to go. But at the end of the game, this is a game about deceit. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Burton is is here and Burton is playing the game. And then we go to Lil. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, it's basically the same reception where Lil shows up and they're all like, oh, Lil, we're glad you're back. And she's like whatever yeah guys <laughs> but then you know it's morgan like you know again drake is you know tucked under their tarp they're like going to sleep they're lying down then you just go like morgan where they're all like 51 50 under like raincoats just rocking back and forth <laughs> and then lil gets there and they greet lil and lil immediately puts on a raincoat and is rocking back and forth <laughs> great i gotta point out some things that happen over on drake though that are kind of important here the first one is that I think Burton is a really good player and he comes down, he does like, he makes friends with everyone. He, he and John kind of buddy up. And I, this is something I get a lot of emails about. People ask me, 
Well, you know, if John threw a challenge to get rid of Burton, why was John buddy-buddy with Burton the minute he came back? And I'm like, well, because John's a good player, just like Burton is. Like, they understand they need each other now. And so all of a sudden, these two immediately latch onto each other. Like, okay, we, I'm screwed. You're screwed. Here we are. We're a team now. And well, the other thing up. Go ahead. Sorry. There you go. I was going to move on to the next scene. So what do you have to say about that? Well, no, it's uh, fair play did say that, you know, he couldn't work with Burton before because Burton did have this kind of, you know, I mean, Burton, as you can see, he's an Eagle Scout, right? So, you know, he was he was trying to play kind of a more straight up game before he left, uh-huh. you know, and then he, you know, obviously he got voted out and he came back and stuff like that. And, you know, John and Burton had a talk apparently at some point and, you know, Burton's like, where do we stand? What do we, where do we go from here? And John's like, I don't know, really know if I can work with you because I don't think your game and my game are going to work. And Burton was like, I'm ready to screw everyone. And John's like, my name's Johnny Fairplay. Let's play survivor. You know <laughs> yep. what I mean? And it's like, you know, once Burton's like, I'm ready to screw everyone. John's like you and me, buddy, let's do this. Although you got that really good scene with Rupert where he kind of pulls Burton aside. Uh, Rupert, yeah, and Burton's like, yeah, man, that's good. And Rupert's like, you're here, man, and John's out. He's well, no, out. you forget the first part. The first part where uh, Rupert kind of pulls Burton aside and said, look, you laughed at me, you oh, made yeah. fun of me, you laughed at my plumber's <laughs> crack. Like, this is the same jock that, you know, that Rupert's been beneath his whole life. And, and you know, to Burton's credit, I think he's kind of touched by that scene. I don't think he ever realized that he was kind of mean to Rupert. Yeah, and it's it's very very similar to the Savage and Rupert scene with the rice. It's yeah. a really nice humanizing scene, kind of in the middle of this this crazy cutthroat game where Burton, I think, honestly feels bad that he hurt Rupert's feelings. And it's kind of a nice little moment where they share it and they, you know, Burton says, "I honestly apologize for that. I w- I would never have done that if I realized you were feeling bad." So it's it's kind of a, a nice little scene that again, Burton has a lot of cool little scenes like that coming up. And yep. it, you know, it, it's nice to see too. It's like it's a very smart way to do it to clear the air right away. This is although I mean, Rupert has the advantage over like Savage and the rest of them that Rupert was gone for the tribal council, but he admits to Burton, "This is why I agreed to vote you out." And mm-hmm. you know, he they you know, I mean, I mean, obviously they don't uh, work together till the end of this game, but I think that was very smart on on his behalf to uh, just clear the air right then and there. Yeah. It's just it's just a really nice scene. I mean, it's it is nothing nice. even close to that happening over on Morgan. No, it is not. I mean, and that's that's the difference right there is that, yeah, you know, Rupert, whatever. But, yeah, you're right. Rupert and Burton, you know, come together and talk about it. And I think you're right. I think Burton's just like, man, I didn't really mean it. And, you know, I think they had a good heart-to-heart. And then you get over there. And, I mean, I just love that scene with Savage and Lil by the fire. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so awkward. You know, Savage just like, yeah, apparently we can't vote you out. <laughs> oh it's, yeah oh. so much so much for that comeback that morgan comeback it's just been derailed poor sad i think he was just done at that point you know austin yeah quit. i think i think he, he quit as much as austin did yeah he was done it, yeah, you, it, it was bad, and you know Lil's there, and I mean Lil, of course, is is a tougher cookie, you know, because she's not playing the diplomacy game, right? And she's just like, I'm hurt. You guys vote me out, and that really sucks. And Savage is like, Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. Uh huh. How about that fish hook? <laughs> <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> I'm such a bitch. <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing. It's just uh. Savage is again is dead man walking at this point. You can just sense it. It's the whole just feeling of doom and gloom over at Morgan. And and again, a lot of people think, well, Savage could have reeled her in. He could have roped her in. But I don't know if he could have at that point. I think she came back with revenge on her mind just as much as he had was kind of giving up. I'm not entirely sure he could have done anything at this point. 
She came back. She came back with re- revenge on her mind. And I think Savage was thinking one of two things. I mean, obviously, if you're thinking in your head, you know, even if they don't merge and they go into an immunity challenge, Drake, who is you know bested Morgan most of the time, has now gained Burton. Yes, <laughs> and, and 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 Morgan has lost Austin for good and gained yeah. Lil. <laughs> You know, and all of my argument of you cut Austin loose because he's got, you know, because he attitude wise, he's not great. It's like Lil's no improvement. So you basically then lost all the strength and you gain Lil. So it's like Savage is like, well, we're screwed in the next challenge anyway. And so Savage is just thinking about the person of his core four that he's got to vote out over Lil, you know, and I just think that was just enough for him. He was done. I think what happened is Andrew Savage is going to fall out. He's going to fall out. So we get, yeah, we get the sad sack scene there, but then we, uh, do we, do we go to the merge now? The merge, right to the merge where we get the first black buff in Survivor history. Johnny Fairplay loves it. I know, I love, John instantly recognizes the awesomeness of him getting to wear a black buff. Because he knows his grandma lie is coming. You got to remember that. This is this great lie that's been hanging over the season all that Probes has promised us. People don't don't remember it hasn't happened yet. It doesn't happen until very late in the season. I mean, Rupert's already gone by the time the great lie is coming. So John instantly he just knows it's all being set up for the he's gonna be the greatest villain in Survivor history, and he gets to wear the black buff. Yep, and uh, they name them Balboa. The Balboas. I, I'm <laughs> sure, we we didn't see it, but I'm sure I'm sure as soon as Rupert said, "I'm gonna name it after my snake Balboa," Lil was mouthing the word Balboa. <laughs> Wait, you had a snake and he died. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's funny because he's like named him Balboa, which I love. And I wonder if someone you know did that to placate Rupert, or if Rupert was like, "We're naming it Balboa." Yeah. And I'll pop like, your head off like a chicken if you don't name it Balboa. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but uh, yeah, you know, Jeff, of course, just like you know, how are you guys doing on food? And Drake's like, "We're good," and Morgan's like, "No, we're fucking not good." And then, uh, you know, Jeff's like, all right, we're going to, you guys are merged. Drop your buffs. You've merged. He literally said you're merged. That's great. Black buffs. That's, that's fantastic. And then we get a cool uh, individual immunity challenge. This is the keel hall one, right? The keel hall one. That's fantastic. That's it's a, a neat challenge. challenge. This, yeah, this is another one that's very exciting. There's, there's, there's some really unique music that, that they haven't really used before in Survivor. It's kind of this military march. And it's very close at the end where Burton just barely beats Rupert at the end, if I recall. Notice, though, his – I think they talk about it in the commentary, but it's really good to notice is, is that, you know, the, the first couple rounds, they just had to keel haul a couple times, and the first people to finish go on to the finals. But in the finals, they had medallions that they had to keel haul five times, and upon getting back up, they had to take a medallion and then run it and put it on a hook on the at the front. And if you notice, Burton, like, he takes his medallion and he puts it on the furthest one first. And then mm-hmm. he puts it on, like, the nearest one last. And it was, like, right at the end because it was him and Rupert running to the end. And Rupert had to stop and reach all the way to the end to put his medallion on. And all Burton had to do was just put it on that near one and then fall on the water. Yep. And I should point out, Burton has still not yet lost a challenge. Burton's the man. Yeah. Although, <laughs> I just wrote in my notes here. <clears throat> I just wrote, Sandra is so worthless in this challenge. <laughs> she got the orange pantsuit on. And she doesn't really jump in the water. She just kind of falls. <laughs> but she puts her arms up. It's like <laughs> <laughs> yes. to break her, break her fall into the water. <laughs> As Sandra inept challenges performance, uh, challenge performances go, this is one of the worst. Yeah, but you know, notice who makes finals. Like Rupert's good in the water. Rupert makes the finals. Burton is challenge god. Burton makes finals. John Fairplay makes the finals. 
Yep. And Lil, of course, is in the Boy Scout uniform and panties combination. That's that's also fun. That's also, Burton, I, Burton's favorite. I know you guys want to talk about it. I guess I'll bring it up. Coolest immunity idol ever? The sword. The immunity awesome. sword. That's it's fantastic. A cutlass. It's a cutlass, right? Yeah, just yes. on, a, on, a, on a big strap. <laughs> so cool. So many little cool details about Pearl Island. Like, the immunity idol is just a fucking sword. <laughs> <laughs> you can strap it across your chest like a Rambo. <laughs> yeah, but then then you get uh, what I find to be an awkward thing because Burton wins the challenge, and then you know he, Jeff Probst like, "Come over here, wear this like the pirate I know you want to be." <laughs> and you're like, Burton wants to be a pirate. <laughs> Have you shared? I don't this? remember that in his bio. <laughs> Have you shared this dream with everybody, Burton? <laughs> you're a crook, Captain Hook. <laughs> That's right. Oh, nice Arrested Development reference. But um, yeah, uh, yeah Burton wins the thing, and it's great, because now he's got double immunity. He's already immune, because he's an outcast coming back, and he's got immunity. And Savage, the feast, waiting for you when you get back to camp. This is where Rupert gets a big ol' hunk of lamb. Big ol' <laughs> With ribs and bread, a big ol' hunk of lamb. <laughs> I could just imitate Rupert all day. <laughs> it's funny. I think we all have imitated Rupert fairly liberally in this podcast. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, so they all get to eat, and it is a it is a decent moment because you know, I mean, you could tell that Morgan they're so inept they haven't had any food, and I mean, Savage just like, oh my god, I'm a human being. Yeah. But then they have to, you know, start scrambling, and poor Savage. Are yeah, you... this is the thing. <laughs> the thing is, the Drakes don't even have to come to Lil. She comes to them. <laughs> She's like, hey, fuck these guys. <laughs> And John's like, okay. <laughs> so John doesn't even have to do anything. She just, I mean, all of a sudden, this the Trump card drops right into his lap. Oh, hey, there's that sixth vote we were looking for. And there's that great scene where uh, where Savage is telling Lil to try to convince her to stay on board, and Rupert's like right behind Savage, yeah. shaking his head, <laughs> just like Rupert does, no. just like not subtly at all. No. <laughs> He's just like, stay with the Drake. You're going to vote with the Morgans? It's like, oh boy, that's your pitch? Good. <laughs> and then like, they've got this great setup where where she's like, I might vote against you. And Savage is like, well, you'll tell me, right? And she's like, I don't know. Did you tell me? I'm like, I'll oh, <laughs> like, He's like, well, will you let me know either way? Remember when I asked you to let me know and you didn't? Oh, <laughs> 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 this, this like, that's, that's just like, bam, nailed the coffin. Like, not a yeah. chance. This this is the start, folks. Lil, I think more than a lot of people in the game of Survivor, cuts just a swath of destruction, and it starts now. I mean, I is is it true? I think Lil is the only one for the remainder of the game to vote correctly on every vote, all the way to the end. Yeah, that's got to be right. You know, well, yeah, John doesn't vote for Burton. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, John doesn't vote for Burton. Sandra doesn't vote for Rupert. Like, you know, Lil is the path of destruction. And I mean, you know, people are just using Lil to, you know, kind of cut. The, but I mean, Lil's Lil's body trail, her count is high. And I mean, it starts with Savage. And I mean, you know, then this one's especially brutal because she turns on the Morgans ultimately. You know, seals a victory for 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 a Drake and. You know, I mean, you know, that's a great quote where Savage is like, will you let me know? And Lil's like, fuck you. I mean, she's good. She's out, man. That's the thing. You know, I love Andrew Savage, one of my all-time favorite characters. I love the guy. I think he had a great story arc. But yeah, there could not be a more perfect ending to his story than him not 
than Lil not warning him just like he didn't warn her. And again, it's not really his fault. Nobody could have predicted that she was going to come back. So, But it's just absolutely perfect. It's just a story arc that just kind of dropped right into the editor's laps. And I got nothing more to say about that. I mean, that's I love Savage. He got absolutely screwed. Yeah. I mean, he never, but he never bitched about it. I've never heard him complain ever in an interview. And he could, he could have sued this show. He had the biggest gripe out of anybody. I mean, w- way bigger than Silas. I mean, Savage could flat out say, "Look, you cost me a million dollars. The Morgans were coming back. We were going to win this game." And he would probably be right. So, I mean, who knows? The 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 fact of the matter is that that if they merge at five five and it's Sean and Austin still in the tribe, I mean Sean is more likely to flip to the Morgan than anything else. I mean, you know, Morgans can gain the upper hand, but don't discount Johnny Fairplay and some things like that. I'm sure some magic would have happened. But you're right, Savage was the ultimate screw out of this. And when I say Savage is not a good leader, that does not mean Savage is not a great character or a great person, or had a great story arc, because all of those things are exactly true. Yeah, he's one of those guys. I mean, this wasn't a point in history where they were bringing back players to play again. I mean, it would, it would be at All-Stars the next season, and it was forever until they did another All-Stars in uh, Micronesia. So, yeah, he was one of those guys. Had they brought a lot of players back in this era, he's one that definitely would have come back, because yeah. he was like, he just... And Probst loved him. Probst to this day still loves him. He still raves about him. And I know Savage has a lot of fans. Although there's just as many people who hate his guts out there, so it's it's a tough sell for me to say he's a fan favorite because he's really not. Well, yeah, I just one of those. Go ahead. No, I, I don't hate him, and I mean I'm on the Savage was not you know because a lot of people say Savage was a great leader. He did what he could, and I I disagree. But none of this thing is like oh man I hate Savage. I you know every time he comes on the screen I I see that's like Savage is fantastic television. And I have to say, just, you know, the little things of synchronicity, just absolutely perfect in Pearl Island. It just kind of all comes together mm-hmm. for, like, the perfect Survivor season. Mm-hmm. The fact that Johnny Fairplay has a wrestling gimmick, that's his thing. He's going to yeah. homage to a pro wrestler in every vote-off. And one of the guys, his arch enemy, is a guy named Savage. Like, yeah. for those of you who don't know, a guy named Randy Macho Man Savage if not the most famous wrestler in Survivor history, I mean, in, in pro wrestling history, obviously, clearly one of the top 10 or 20. Yeah. Like, this guy, name name basis alone, is a huge wrestling star. His name is Savage. So Johnny Fairplay gets to go up there and do a Randy Macho Man Savage. I mean, how does that possibly work out any better? Like, this is the key pivotal vote in the game. Fairplay is already doing a pro wrestling gimmick, and now he gets to do a Savage joke. I mean, come on. It's good. Somewhere, Thunder Dan just popped a little boner. Oh, Thunder D, we love you. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah you, you, all that is correct. Uh, but yes, just just for the final point on Savage, he ends his Survivor career as leader of the Morgans, winning four out of 12 challenges. <laughs> one of those challenges was thrown, so more like three out of 12. Yeah. But he did have the one challenge moment that no one else will have where he completely beast-motored a weight challenge, and that's impressive. How dare yes. you suggest that they threw that challenge little piss hand? <laughs> I'm a oh, piss hand. I don't think they did throw it. <laughs> so oh. yeah, Andrew Savage, he worked hard and he played hard and we respect him. Unlike yeah, he Austin, really was like Zoe 2.0 when I think about it. <laughs> he was. Well, working hard and playing hard, does that make Austin like the anti-Zoe? <laughs> yes. Did Andrew have a sexy calendar afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> I actually might be drawn to that calendar more than to Zoe's calendar, I have to admit. But anyway. 
right. Well, I got to say, what, you know, just little jackass moments from Johnny Fairplay, but watch the scene where Savage gets voted out and Fairplay doing his little F and Y holding it up to Savage and kind of mocking him on the way out. Oh, God. Just a perfect little Johnny Fairplay, I won, you didn't, ha-ha moment. He's such a little jackass. And uh, Andrew Savage says in the DVD commentary, his biggest regret is that after he got voted off, he didn't just punch Johnny Fairplay in the face <laughs> on the way out. That would have been great. That would have been fantastic. And that is why this season is great right there. Legitimate hatred between the characters. And I bet you Fairplay would have loved it, too. Absolutely. That makes him a legend. He was the first player to get punched. He would, he would have just loved it. So, I mean, you know, that's all great. Good stuff. Good stuff, Savage. Good good stuff. Good on you. Good on you, son. We like it. We, I mean, and that's the thing is that Savage is fantastic television. And, uh, yeah, I think you're right. If they were doing this whole thing where, like, they bring back, like, a couple players a season, like, Savage would have totally been brought back. Yeah, it's just timing. And um, I will never forget the image of him walking around completely naked except for his sport coat and his shorts and his tennis shoes. It's just a weird little image. That goes in the sexy calendar, by the way. (laughs) He was trying out some looks. (laughs) What is going on? All right, let's power through the next episode because the next one's kind of the, the the one forgettable episode of the season, the Rhino one. So we're going to end on the Rhino episode? Yeah, we'll finish with this one and then we'll go. We'll start off with what many people, including me, would call a top 10 episode in Survivor history, the Rupert episode. All we'll right. start part three with that. Okay, so the next one I've always said is the one kind of forgettable episode in Survivor history because it's the Rhino episode. You know he's going to get voted out next. Nothing really major happens in the episode. In fact, it's not really even about Rhino. He's not really even a major character in his own episode. But I was watching it this the other day, and I realized it's it's not as forgettable and minor as you think because it totally sets up the Rupert episode, the next one. It's like mm-hmm. a part. It's like another two part episode. This is the part one setting up everyone going to turn on Rupert next episode. They're kind of building up for the fall. So that's how I think people should look at this episode, the Rhino one. This is part one of the Rupert episode. It's got so many good little moments in it too. Yeah, there are some little funny character and quirky moments. We'll just go through these real quick here. The first one has to be at the beginning when they wake up. I mean, this is Lil realizing the incredible power she has. Where <laughs> she's just like, I didn't like him, and I voted him out. She's like, <laughs> she's like I'm more powerful than Sir Francis Drake. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what the Drake tribe was named after. There's <laughs> like, Great little underrated funny scene there where Rupert's like promising Lil the next morning, thank you for standing with us. And he's like, he goes, you will be the last Morgan standing. And if you win immunity at that point, I will put a Drake out instead of you. I'm like, well, no shit, Captain (laughs) Obvious. Who else are you going to vote out if she wins immunity? (laughs) Like she buys it. She's like, well, thank you. That is is great that he promises her fucking nothing. He says, I'll vote out a Drake if you win immunity. I just want to see him like go up there and be like, vote for Lil anyway. He goes, I know this vote won't count, but... I just picture Johnny Fairplay watching this at home saying, well, that's not a deal, Lil. <laughs> All right, what do we got here? <clears throat> oh, we got uh, My wife pointed this out in, in the Rhino's Boot episode. Every shot you show of Lil, she looks pouty. Every shot of Rhino, he's always smiling, even when he's upset. She goes, if you, like, combined Ryan and Rhino and Lil, you'd have a normal person. <laughs> Rhino is trying to do some dealing here. He's trying to get uh, Burton, you know, to uh, 
to flip on Rupert and stuff like that. And the thing is, is that Rhino's instincts are correct. You know, he's like, you got to get rid of Rupert. You, you, you can't. And, you know, I've got people here. And the thing, though, is that Rhino's math doesn't add up in the sense that, you know, I think Burton and Johnny Fairplay were like, well, we could do that without you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you could see that Rhino's like, no, this is what you guys need to do. And Rhino's right. Yes. So many people that try to get Rupert out are correct. That just the timing isn't right. Mm-hmm. Timing's not right, but Rhino is correct. I mean, in, in, I think Rhino did exactly what he should have done in this episode. It just wasn't going to work out for him. But it's okay because we preempt all that to show uh, Burton catching a stingray. <laughs> an electric ray. Yeah, or an electric stingray. Like, wow, this is electric. Hey, Rupert, put your finger in those holes. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Oh, my God. <laughs> and then Lil does it. Like, they're all just like, oh. <laughs> Again, it's a totally insignificant scene that means nothing. It's just people goofing off and having nothing to do and shocking themselves on purpose. Yeah, but they got to eat Stingray. That looked uh, that looked pretty significant. Yeah, it looked totally like rubber, but I'm sure it was significant anyway. Okay, so is this the breakfast reward with the slingshots? Yes. Yes, this is the one. Uh, yeah, we're right to that scene. Okay, so yeah, so they get a reward where they have to fire marbles at targets and then you kind of have to do it in an order like there's a there's a a, a complicated or not a rube goldbergian kind of torch thing where like you hit one plate and it releases a lit torch up that lights another torch and then you release the second plate and it goes up to another torch and then you release the third one and then it lights the big torch at the end yeah. so you not only do you have to break all your plates you have to do it in an order because if you do it out of order the mechanism's not going to work yeah, and this is the one where, again, Lil will start making the season all about her, where every time she hits a target, she's like, oh, thank you, Jesus, looking up. Oh, my God, thank you. It's like, shut up, Lil. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, this is where Rupert shows that he is a sling, aside from being a Hawaiian sling god, he's also a slingshot god, because he, he hits, I think, all three targets right in a row at the end. Yeah. And my wife pointed out he has his hair tied back in a ponytail in this episode, so he's added a ponytail to his uh, skirt ensemble, so he's got the whole girl thing going now. Yeah, he's very good at the slingshot. That's always a weird skill when people are good at stuff like that. <laughs> and Krista is not good at the slingshot. No, she is not. This is one where she, she constantly makes what I call the Krista face, which is Krista trying to concentrate and shoot. And, and of course, I have to point out, why does it not surprise me that Krista is a left-hander? Like, yeah, that fits. Yeah, lefties are weird. Uh, what? Except for you, Jay. I mean, except for you. You're okay. totally man- oh. manly. Normal. Okay, well, thank you. Okay, okay. I, I find well. you amazing also. Oh, well, thank you. Do you have a <laughs> Snickers bar? <laughs> uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, so Rupert wins breakfast, and... Uh... But he doesn't win breakfast. He wins it, but he can give it He gives it, it to Burton, right? No, who did he give it to? Yeah, he gives it to Burton, doesn't he? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's it's very weird. They never do this thing. It's like you can win it. You can so you can keep it, and this only happens in Pearl Island. This whole weird dynamic that it's like you can keep the reward and bring someone with you, or you can give it away and they can take someone with them, but they cannot pick you because you gave it away. <laughs> it's very weird how it happens. Did you get that? Everyone got that? You got that? You got that. Go well, follow the flow chart. <laughs> yeah, there was a flow chart out there. So yeah, Rupert gives it to Burton, and then you know they're like, Burton, you could take someone, and and you know Burton totally makes up his mind by himself. <laughs> well, I got to point out just when I said this is part one of the Rupert Falls episode, the whole thing with uh, 
when, when Rupert wins the challenge, every time he hits a sling uh, target, they immediately cut to Burton, kind of looking threatened and pensive. It's it's a really nice setup for the next episode if you pay attention to it. Yep, it's all a good setup, you know, and that he gives the the reward to Burton, and then you know Burton gets the thing and he's like, "Take Lil, <laughs> yes, <laughs> take her, I'll pop your head off like a damn chicken." You know, we've 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 enumerated it. Paul's enumerated it. Mario's enumerated it. Like Rupert's lurking in the background, just kind of yelling at people. <laughs> <laughs> he hey, Lil, you want to join us here at the Morgans? No. <laughs> There's a great quote, I think, a confessional with uh, Burton here, where he's laughing about how everyone thinks he's part of Drake, and he's like, "Drake, Drake, Drake. That's a bunch of lies." And he's yeah. just laughing. <laughs> uh, a funny little Burton moment. Burton. Burton. But then uh, they so Burton takes Lil and they go uh, they go on the reward and you know Lil's like I just need to talk I need to talk okay I'm trying to think I'm looking through my notes on this episode here well they, so this they, is where fair sorry go ahead no they they have the reward Burton gets the we learn that Lil doesn't drink and Burton gets the champagne but then uh, you know Burton's like God we got to get Rupert out of there mm-hmm. and then Burton and John kind of team up here right this is where that happens mm-hmm. yeah and then <laughs> and then John's like you know I threw a challenge to get rid of Burton. And now we're best allies. He's like, irony plays definitely plays a strong hand in this game. You know, but it's funny because, you know, we have, um, you know, Rhino is brought up already in the, in, the, in the episode that you need to get rid of Rupert. And he's gone to Burton, basically, and by proxy, John. And then Burton has, is in this reward talking to Lil, saying, we've got to get rid of Rupert. And then we get back to camp, and Sandra and Krista are in the water talking about getting rid of Rupert and Burton. <laughs> yes but i mean we've had like basically everybody's talking about getting rid of rupert you're right this is such a setup for next episode yeah and that's the thing it's like it's not rhino's story at all he's completely forgotten in this episode we have basically burton and Lale making a the final two deal based on the eagle scout or the boy scout handshake we have john and burton agreeing to uh, to work together it's all just a big setup and now we go to the famous coconut chop challenge basically where you put a coconut in someone's bin Except for, they, I don't know if they were just, like, short on budget on here or what. It's pretty lame. They just, like, rack them up in these, like, they look like those, uh, the racks when you go bowling. And you need to uh, eat all the balls lined up in there. It's pretty weak sauce as far as a, a coconut chopping challenge goes. Well, it's funny because it's clear almost everybody wants Rupert out. But they don't want to do it, obviously. So they're all scared to death to put his uh, coconut in his in his bin in this challenge. And there's a couple funny moments like where Sander walks up to put a coconut and he just growls. Like <laughs> total Rupert intimidating people. He just well, <laughs> she comes near us. He's like a dog. And there's the we get a middle finger from Sandra. There's a lot of middle <laughs> fingers in this season. Yeah. It's where John John puts a coconut in her bin and she just gives him the finger. <laughs> <laughs> Love Sandra. We, but like you know, even so, like Sandra, you know, she's going. She's like, well, he doesn't have one in his bin. Why does he need to be left out? And he's like, oh, Sandra, what are you doing? I guess you <laughs> won't get fish. <laughs> what the fuck, America's sweetheart, ladies and gentlemen, Rupert. <laughs> but we loved it. We loved it. Oh, he's so cute. But you know, some of these. This is one where like a lot. You know the answers to some of these trivia questions. This is not like weird survival questions or like obscure Amazon questions or something like that. Like they need to go find pieces of eight. Like who does not know that answer? Apparently some people don't, but like, 
They have a question. What's keel hauling? Like, didn't we just do that like last episode? And then you make the whole challenge. around? They just did it. And what I love is that, you know, the first question in the challenge and they must, I don't know how many questions they got. Cause you know, they, maybe there was, you know, some that we don't see and all that stuff. But the first question is if you're looking for pieces of eight, what are you looking for? Or you're looking for an Island, true or false. And the answer is false pieces of eight or Spanish doubloons. Right. And then the final question at the end between Rupert and Chris to decide the winner is, you know, um, what what items are not found in a in a treasure chest? And you know, one is booty, the other one is pieces of eight, and the third one is dory, right? And like Krista chooses pieces of eight, and I'm like, we've already had this. Like we've already established this is Spanish doubloons. Well, to be fair, I'm pretty sure from what I watched, I saw Krista was throwing the challenge. Well, okay. Yeah, I mean, who, we, there's no Go way to the know other for one, sure. Though. Go with the other one though. All right, yeah. What what an idiot, Krista. Ha <laughs> ha. What a puss. <laughs> I no, I would just say then go with the other answer. Like okay. put put false or something. <laughs> I got some new freckles. <laughs> I want to see someone I want to I want to see someone do that or I want to know if they get yelled at by Jeff if they're throwing a question like if it's multiple choice and they throw false up or true. <laughs> Bushmaster, it's a porn star. Oh boy. He didn't like that one apparently. That was a good one. I stand by that joke, Rob. That that's was a, a good joke. That's a great joke. So yeah, so, right. so Rupert wins, and he wins the immunity sword. Yeah! <laughs> and then we go, and we lose Rhino, and it's completely forgettable, and again, no one ever remembers this episode. It's the one that's kind of nothing happens, but again, it's so setting up the next episode. It's ridiculous if you watch them back-to-back. I love how they throw in this weird, like, uh, Rhino hates Krista, calls her a bitch. Like they kind of get into it at Tribal Council, and kind of you know, Dare is included on this. And there's a little kind of this tiff between, you know, how much the Morgans work and how much the you know the Drakes work. And and Dara tells us, "I'm gonna go get firewood. I might not be getting firewood when she's getting it, but I will get firewood at some point during the day." Yeah, I wrote that in my notes too. I wrote, "Dara says firewood 22 times in one sentence." <laughs> Way to go, Dara. And she has the accent, and never once did she just look at some firewood and go, no, that's dry. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> All right, so that's it. We we end with Rhino being gone. It's now five uh, Drakes against, or basically six Drakes against two Morgans at this point, right? Just uh, T and Dara left because Lil's jump ship. Yes, the, but if Lil and, wins immunity, Rupert will yeah. even put out a Drake before I her. will put out a Drake. But it, and then Rhino's got some great final words. You remember his final words? <laughs> he's pissed. Yeah, he's like, I wish Dara and T lots of luck. Not so much Lil. <laughs> <laughs> Rhino has, you know, I, I guess it's to your point that he's always smiling. I do remember that that immunity challenge where they pile on Rhino right at the beginning because they don't want him winning. And <laughs> like the first round, he gets four coconut and he just goes, yeah, I'm doing good. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, Rhino, if my wife would name her top 10 favorite survivors or the cutest guy survivors, she always picks Rhino. And he's one that nobody ever picks. It's kind of a weird, like he's kind of a forgotten, obscure survivor to name. But yeah, she's always just been enamored with a guy because she said he's always smiling. He seems so happy. He never gets mad. He loves the animals. So he's one of those guys. He's like a big deal in our house, like to the point that I'm threatened by him. No, I'm, but it, but it, like we're the, I'm the we're the only household I know that Rhino is like considered a major survivor character. So like, do you guys even consider him like a major character in Pearl Islands? No, I guess that's the answer right there. <laughs> no. So, yeah, Although, so Rhino's gone. 
you, your household is getting weirder by the minute. You got Rhino, and of course, your son was was about the general, <laughs> the general, <laughs> big the general fans. Right here. <laughs> it's like the Lanza household. Who do we love? We love Rhino and the general. Well, you know, I wouldn't even remember Zoe if Paul hadn't brought her up, and now she's like a big thing. So let's yeah. talk about the Osselson. She's amazing. Oh. Okay. Well, no, let's. It's not just Paul. I think it's all three of us now. I think that if someone were to come up to all of us and go, "Greatest obscure survivor," we'd be like uh, Zoe. I like her presentation. I like her smile. <laughs> See, I don't really dig her presentation. <laughs> her eyes. That's. <laughs> well, I just I like her. I, I think it's good because we know we know what she's all about. She's about working hard and playing hard. <laughs> and There's she nothing can more... deep throat a Snickers bar like <laughs> no one's business. Nothing more relevant to episode eight of Pearl Island than Zoe. <laughs> I was just gonna say that you know we just have been talking about how we couldn't wait to get to Pearl Islands forever because it was like our favorite season, just an absolutely pitch perfect season of Survivor, and we're going back to Zoe. And we're Jones. going back to Zoe deep throwing a big one. <laughs> that sucks. That sucks pretty bad, Terry. <laughs> All right, so we have officially finished part two, I believe, of Pearl Islands. And this is an excellent stopping point because we are about to kick off the next one with maybe the greatest one-two punch of Survivor episodes in, in history. I mean, the Rupert episode and the Dead Grandma episode go one-two right in a row. It's ridiculous how awesome that is. It's are you guys a- as big a fan of the Rupert episode as I am? Yes. It's, it's yeah. great. Yeah, it's just it's so well edited. It's just a, like a Greek a tragedy. It's awesome. It's like like uh, Sophocles wrote this or some one of these guys. If there were if there were two words that I could use for that episode, it, it would probably one of them would probably be death. <laughs> God, if there was another one, you know, maybe may, <laughs> maybe dealing with with uh, with with something decaying in some way, decay, pestilence. no pestilence, pestilence. Yeah, death and pestilence. Yeah, that's something what, like that. Something like that. this is a a absolute favorite quote of all three of us where rupert you'll we'll talk about it a lot but we'll just give you a hint it's death and rot so much death and rot and we will get there soon that's next episode oh oh it's fantastic it is it is great this rupert boot is just a fantastic bit of television and it was really iconic because as i said rupert was the most popular survivor ever at that point and his going away episode, it was a big deal. But now you watch it now, and you're like, huh. But then, you know, you can't possibly top Rupert's ousting, right? But nay, nay, you can. <laughs> Dead grandma. Dead oh, grandma some, and Thunder D. There's some great... Remind me to talk about, <laughs> when we get to part three, if we have listeners who write in, remind me to talk about in part three why sandra knows that john's lying about his dead grandma it's one of my all-time favorite survivor stories so we'll talk about that when we get there Sandra's the only one that knows that dead grandma thing is a lie and it's hilarious why she knows that all right do you guys have anything more to add about uh, part two here before we kick off for their finish off for the night mm, no no paul has nothing i never have anything yeah why do i show up to do this Exactly. I don't even know why you're here, Paul. Where's Beatles? We should we should we should take Beatles microphone off mute. It's been on mute for like seven podcasts in a row. That's part of the the outcast twist here. You uh, <laughs> thought he was gone, but he's not. He's, we're gonna bring him back in. Smart. It's about revenge, baby. <laughs> that sounded right. so staged, Mario. <laughs> All right, Jay. Any more? Any more from you? 
Well, when Heidi saw that uh, Michelle did that thing, she knew instantly it was staged. People are so sick of that joke. We got to stop with that one. I think. Really? I've, that I've gotten one? a lot of. Well, people liked it at the time, but it's been it's become a thing now on message boards, like in previously on Survivor and other Survivor groups, that people started quoting that to the point that it's epidemic now. It's all over the place, and people are sick of it. You know what else I'm noticing on on some of those message boards, especially previously on Survivor? I'm seeing people with 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 this thread where they go, "I went back and watched Thailand, and it's really good." Hmm, I told you so. Yes, well done, Jay. Yeah, it was all me. It was not you two losers. No. Who are you again? Just you, Jay. Just me. Jay's giving himself a tongue bath like always. <laughs> oh, did you get accused of giving yourself a tongue bath, Mario? I did. All right, let's sign off. We don't want to go there. All right, we will sign off from part two because it's very late. It's actually about four o'clock in the morning where Jay is right now. So you should appreciate the dedication it took on his part to power through this one. Next, tomorrow at work, I will just be full of rot and death. <laughs> All right. Firewood. Okay. (laughs) For the Survivor Historians, I'm Mario Lanza. Uh, I'm Paul, and I am not scared of every little bug. (laughs) And I am Jay Fisher, and uh, these two pissants are trying to tell me to end this thing. I don't even think we're ending this challenge right now or ending this podcast. Yeah, our temples are pretty much done, so we'll talk to you later. Goodbye. I know the truth. Basically, you've been backstabbing everyone, including myself. You.